Podcast about movie movies. My name is Garrett Smith. My name is Dan Scully, and we are here to talk about uh, something we saw last night uh, in advance of the Oscars. Again, we talked about Rocky Absolutely. last time we did an episode, which is a Best Picture winner from 1977, I believe. Uh, because we have an Oscar-themed game show coming up on February 12th. You should come see it at Philomoca. Uh, we are talking about one of this year's uh, nominees in a, a couple of categories. I think. A couple of categories: Best Adapted Screenplay, yep. which we should talk about because there's an interesting thing about that. Yes. Um, Best Supporting Actor mm-hmm. for J.K. Simmons and. I believe oh, it's definitely a best picture, it's best nominee. picture right? And uh, yeah, Whiplash. 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 I am very excited to talk about this. I really love that Whiplash is all about the song Whiplash, and it culminates in a beautiful performance of Caravan. I was thinking about that <laughs> all day. I was like, how did this... I, w- is, I, I was curious if maybe it was originally called Caravan, because that's what it builds to, and then somebody said, like, well, Whiplash is a more exciting title, just use that. I think it's... I, I mean, I think it's just because of the double meaning of the title. Right. Is this guy... You know, Whiplash is is the is a muscle reaction to trauma. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it speaks to to it, that aspect. And this it even speaks to, it ends thing. up speaking to a specific scene in the movie, which, yeah, yeah. which I thought oh, was yeah. interesting, too, that it, it even got uh, quite literal at some point. I think Whiplash is what, the reason why the title is there is because that's what got him into the that's conservatory true. program, because he could do the double-time double time jazz. Yep. And uh, that was the basis of Whiplash. Mm-hmm. But Caravan's just a better song, <laughs> trust me. I've been listening to the soundtrack on Spotify <laughs> at work. Religiously, it, I believe I may be wrong about this. If Caravan is not part of the uh, Cowboy Bebop soundtrack, it is you know c- clearly that is uh, a lot of what that soundtrack is is, is based on is this style of uh, jazz. Um, I mean, if if anything, Cowboy Bebop is jazz influenced overall. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's like a jazz well, techno western. Is, yeah, the music in it is definitively jazz. It's it's bebop. Oh, yeah. uh, it's bebop was, yeah. <laughs> was, is what Pete just explained to me. My roommate Pete Steele. I was like, yeah, you know that style of jazz. It's in Cowboy Bebop. He was like, bebop. I was like, yeah, that style. That's the one. <laughs> one of my favorite old Far Side comics was called the birth of you know the far side mm-hmm. the birth of jazz and there's a caveman sitting there and he's just hitting rocks together and it's <laughs> saying bonk 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 but next to him there's a caveman who has sunglasses and he's hitting rocks together and it's saying be bonk be bonk be bonk <laughs> and i always thought that was so clever it's the birth of jazz yeah. baby um i'm actually quite curious to see what the cowboy bebop theme is because that it, it, when you brought that up, I was like, oh, yeah. It's I, super safe. It's the boom, 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 boom. But I think some of the horn lines are different. I was trying to think of it last night. Well, and there's a lot of, uh, I mean, there's a lot of just jazz standards yes. that are played, you know, in different yeah. ways. But um, um, actually, that's something that uh, um, I think is an interesting way to, to kick this off. Sure. There's a line that I love in the movie, mm-hmm. and it's midway through, but whether to jump the gun or not is, no, is irrelevant. Fine. Yeah. Uh, it's a scene where Miles Teller's character, I'm not able to remember his name. I'll look it up. Um, he, uh, what was his character's name? That's awful. Uh, I, see, I know Terrence Fletcher was yep, J.K. Yep. Simmons. But either way, Miles Teller, yep. uh, Mr. Fantastic, <laughs> he's at dinner with some of his extended family. And it's clear that they're all very exactly academic-minded and very uh, sports-minded and all that stuff. Like They're the classic, and he's doing something that is... That's not classically considered a successful thing. Like, well, oh, your music, you know? And it's outside of their understanding. I know what point you're going to drive to, but to, to cut in real quick, the thing that I liked about that scene on top of that is the idea that, like, he doesn't have an explainable thing. 
they all have like, oh, I already earned this achievement. Oh, it's not quantifiable. Yeah, there's no quantifiable way to be like, I'm actually doing really well in my profession. Mm. They haven't, there's no record that he's on. There's no TV appearance he's on. There's no, these definable things that that, that everyone else has for artistic professions oh, yeah, yeah. takes so long to get to there's nothing to quantify that profession with before it and they're like incomparable to other yes. ones in the same field paul f tompkins has a great story on one of his albums about when his mother died and it's it's a wonderful bit because it talks about how you know the sadness that he went through but all the humor that he found through it and he said one of the things that his mom said when she was like dying was paul like you know this is all well and good what you do but when are you really going to get it together like what is it you want and he was like mom this is this is together. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is what I want, yeah. is to do what I am doing. Yeah. And he said, and it was just hard to explain. And I think he's, along the lines, he was like, and when my mom said that from her deathbed, my thought was just like, you bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> something like that. But either way, the the, the, the line that, that I think yes. says a lot about this movie, and I think is a good jumping off point, is someone... Uh, Essentially, asks him, you know, oh, you know, you're good at music, but isn't that subjective? Yeah. And his answer is quite simply, no. Yeah, really frankly. And it's like a quick cut, too. It just cuts right to his face and goes, no. Yeah, and it no, just cuts not away at to all. somebody else. And, and that goes into what we were saying about like the cowboy bebop thing. It very well could be caravan, but mm-hmm. it could just be done a different way. Mm-hmm. But from what I understand, in any music experience that I have, and I've seen at least enough jazz to know, that there actually, if you watch Treme, you see it a mm. lot. Where there's just a book of songs that, if you're a jazz musician, you know and you know well. Standards. And yeah, just standards. And like Whiplash is one of those standards. Mm-hmm. They, I and, mean, they uh, refer to them in the movie, and that you know, the, this is the the movie was great at being like very real to that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, they refer to them as charts. Yeah. They don't even refer to them as like oh the music or the sheet music. They're they're charts. They're, mm-hmm. You know, it's just something. That you can look at and memorize and just know the the chart for Whiplash the same way. And it's like when a you're writing jazz, knows the chart for the periodic table. You know what I mean? I, like exactly, it, exactly. When, if you're writing jazz or composing it, yeah, a lot of it is about like oh feeling and doing that. When you're jamming, it's all about feeling. But when you're in like this jazz ensemble, it's who's gonna play this piece perfectly, and that's why there's so much conflict based around that's not my time. Are you slower than my time? Or are you mm-hmm. faster than my time? Mm-hmm. Let's try it again. One, two, three, four, mm-hmm. and it's like. And I see. I, I'm not good at sight reading music. Yeah, I used I'm, to be I'm able to do it, but I, I've kind of lost it. But mm-hmm. that that you know that is a study and of that's a language in of yeah. itself. And there's people who can speak the language well, and there's people who can't. Like I'm sure there's a couple people who can sit down and play Whiplash, and you go, "Oh, that was a rocking version of Whiplash." But if you put it next to the charts, it it would be a mishmash. And right. somebody who's judging you on preciseness would be offended. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But. Well, and that's why, uh, you know, I think that's why that kid ends up asking that question, like, well, isn't that subjective? Because Mm -hmm. there is a side of it that's like being able to sit there and listen to someone's rendition of Whiplash and just appreciate their rendition of Whiplash, which is to some extent a subjective thing. However, uh, Whiplash is a song that is of a complexity that is like, no, it's not subjective whether it's being done well or not. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, there is, no matter your variation on it, there's a version of it that is good, and there's a version of it that fucking sucks. Oh, yeah. And and that's it. And I think that's that's true of most art. With Damien Chazelle, the writer-director of Whiplash, he also wrote Grand Piano, of which the entire hook is, if he misses one note on this amazing piano piece, he will be sniped. Unplayable piano piece. Unplayable piano piece. (laughs) And if he misses one note, and and I love the idea that, that, I mean, did you see... 
a DC Grand Piano. Grand Piano. Okay, so spoiler alert: mm-hmm. the whole idea is that the the sniper just really wants to see it perfectly. Yes. And it's like it wants to ensure. Now, of it's course, also a heist. it is a I heist. It was a heist. There's via, a key to unlock the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you, there there is a sense that yes. you get of just like. Well, he basically, it's a similar story in that he basically goes like, are you willing to die for your art? Like, how yeah, hard yeah. are you willing to work to get this unplayable piece right? Yes. yes. So, okay, so let's whiplash what this is, what the story is, is Miles Teller plays a character whose name I will grab shortly, who <laughs> yeah. um, he gets into a uh, Schaefer Music Conservatory, mm-hmm. which is best in the country, blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's a real thing. I don't really know. I'm not sure. And there's a hierarchy within it, and everybody wants to be... You know the core. You mm-hmm. know, and we've got a guy who's not—he's an alternate for you know the the non varsity band, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, right. He's not even the main drummer for mm-hmm. like the non core group. He's but he like, like the wants backup it. for the backups. He's got that heart though. Yeah, and that pure manic insanity. But basically, mm-hmm. it's just him meeting this professor who. Uh, I, mean, I guess professor's the word. You I mean, could call him that. He, he is their, it's their his band. teacher. He's, he's responsible their, yeah. for Schaefer mm-hmm. Conservatory's core band. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's he the conductor, is I guess, actually. Might conductor, be the proper yeah, yeah. term for it. But he's a complete jazz enthusiast and all that. And there is a scene that shows that that he does play. I but wanted I do to talk get about the, this. Uh, I do get the sense that he does have this weird, amped-up version of those who can't teach. Yes. And I think that that hurts him. Yes. But I think that's also why his goal is to just break someone into Breed greatness. being the best musician. Yeah. And so that's that's the story. Is just these two he obsessive personalities it, so he's really going. To breed it, right? Exactly, I mean, that was exactly. kind of the impression I got. I mean, I feel like that's the impression for a lot of teachers. Yeah. I, I used to do a bit about an acting teacher I had, and she was batshit fucking crazy mm-hmm. through and through because she. I mean, I, I I'm sure she was a fine actress. I never saw her in context, but she didn't make it. Right. You don't make it and then teach at Burlington County College. <laughs> the, you know, that's that's not that story. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, it's and I got the feeling that like any frustration she had with people in class was less frustration with the fact that they couldn't do it, yeah, and more frustration in the fact that she knows how but just couldn't couldn't do it. Because well, he, the only time we do see him play is at that piano bar, yes, and he is playing some really light, fluffy jazz. He's uh, playing a jazz song that I believe is what the basis of the outward, uh, non-in-scene score of the movie. Oh, interesting. Because during that like kind of sad sequence, yeah. there's a really nice piano hook, but there's a more jazzy version is what he's playing on stage. Interesting. Okay. Um yeah, and I found that fascinating that like he spends the whole movie referring to the core as his band. He says if you're going to fuck up my band, right? Like he's constantly referring to them as his band, my band. Oh yeah. But then he's the like only, a coach. Yeah. The know? only time that we see him with legitimately his band where he's actually a part of the music that's being made, he is. Uh, he doesn't treat them the way he treats the players in his quote-unquote band. Oh, and even even when he loses the position, spoiler alert, yep. later, it, his new band, he you can you can tell he's still a professional about it. Like he wants them to be good. Yep. But because he's not at the top level anymore, he doesn't feel justified in throwing things at people. Right. And yeah. Yeah. That. It, uh, he he was such a fascinating character. I I, I, could, I couldn't stop thinking about uh, that. The theme to Cowboy Bebop is called Tank! That's oh, an yes, exclamation right, point. Yes, yes. So it's not, but I mean, it, if you hear it, it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, 
I could not stop thinking about the depiction of him because I, I didn't really think about it over the course of the movie that we never get any evidence that he himself is a good jazz player. Mm. I didn't realize that until, you know, a couple hours later as I was, you know, reflecting on the movie. Is he's probably a great jazz player, but he's not one of, as they say, the greats. Right. And that's what he's trying to make. Right. He like he knows he's incapable of being one of the greats, mm-hmm. but he's perfectly capable of breaking someone into it. Creating one, yeah, yeah. Andrew is Miles Teller's Andrew, yes, name. yes, Andrew. Um, and his dad, Paul Reiser. Well, this, so this was, to me, the central thing about the movie. This is what I, I, I thought was really, really interesting about it. Um, it's about a kid who believes that greatness is achievable. Mm. And what I mean by that is he doesn't seem to believe you can be born great. Mm. He doesn't think that Buddy Rich just by virtue of being Buddy Rich, was really good at drumming. Mm -hmm. He believes that Buddy Rich achieved that level of drumming and that he achieved it through not just hard work and perseverance, but actually being like pushed beyond his limits Mm -hmm. to get that good. He believes that that is the way you become truly great at something. And then you have a guy who did not achieve that but also believes that that is probably true and sees that this kid doesn't just believe that, but also has this additional personality trait of being a people pleaser, which I want to talk about as mm. well. And that that means he's the perfect student to pull into his weird, you know, m- just sort of megamaniacal, uh, 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 megalomania, megalo- I can't think of how to say megalomaniacal. that Megalomaniacal. Megalomaniacal world. Megalomaniacal. Uh, to right try now. and make Hello, him cool that, you know, to give that to that kid. Mm-hmm. Because he sees that he has not just the drive, the desire, but also the belief that that's possible. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's... It, it, and I think that's what he's trying to challenge is... is uh, uh, Fletcher's goal mm-hmm. is to basically make you want to quit. Yes. And that's what he's testing is that will. Because the the whole qu- the, when they finally do kind of sit face to face at the jazz club and uh, he has this whole, you know, there's nothing more dangerous than than good job. Yeah. You know, I, they talk about and I, f- I forget the artist, but he, you know, they threw a symbol at his head. I believe that was the Buddy Rich story, right? I forget the guy that did it, it to Buddy him, Rich, but somebody but threw a symbol at Buddy Rich, I think. Yeah, and and either way, the the whole thing is, you know, he threw that at him and he said, "What?" And uh, the question that that uh, Andrew asks is, "Well, what's the point? Like, when are you going to turn one of these guys around? When are you mm-hmm. going to discourage somebody mm-hmm. through these actions?" And his answer is, "Well, if they're discouraged, then they're not the one, right? Then you know, and yeah. like that's that's kind of his goal is mm-hmm. to push you to the point of breaking, just to see if maybe you can still keep going." At well, it. he said he says it a little more specifically than that, even, and I, and I loved it. He 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 says it's so weird to love it because his his methodology is so hard to watch, but I don't disagree with his point. If that See, makes sense, yeah, the thing is, I agree with his point, but I think that. T- to me personally, in my experience with teaching and learning, I feel that his method is the wrongest way to go right. about it. Yeah. Now, of course, in the context of the movie, it does work because he is working with somebody else who is equally codependently obsessive. Yep. Yep. And that's why it works. And that's why for years, Fletcher has not had this person right. and even had somebody kill himself. Yep. You know, uh, which isn't expressly, you know, said that it was his fault. But, you know, there's just that factor of. Here was Perhaps this huge this guy was extra pushed. added stress and pressure on on this dude's life. Well, he the way Fletcher states it though that I thought was so interesting is not that like oh I want to push you to break you to see if you can get past breaking. What he says is I need it need I need to prove to these people that they can 
work harder than they thought possible. Oh, yeah. That, like, the work that they can push themselves beyond what they thought was necessary Mm -hmm. and beyond what they thought was even possible for themselves. That's the way he kind of states it, that it's not like I'm trying to break them. It's more like he's trying to prove to them that they can work twice as hard as they ever thought possible. I think um, one of my biggest limitations is when I like doing anything creative, is I get to a point where I just go, ha, I'm done. I just go, yeah. I'm done. And to me, that's you know, and that's fine because that's who I am. Mm-hmm. But it it probably would take a third party uh-huh. to look at me and say, you're not done. And then it's like, okay. And then we're then we're scraping the bottom trying to trying to get something real. And without that, you know, and I think he views himself as that voice and yeah. how how important that is and. When I relate it to myself just now as I'm talking through it, I, I see that that is important. Uh, as an artistic type that's trying to deal with somebody just uh, honking their horn out in, the, <laughs> yeah. out in the backyard. I don't know if you guys could hear that, <laughs> but it's wild. Uh, the But like as an artistic person, it, this movie, like re, like some of that stuff really hit home with me where it was like, man, I like we uh, as a comedian, sometimes you have conversations where it's like, some guys don't like to be told they they did well at like a mic or a show. They just don't like it no matter what. They don't like being told that. And that at first was hard for me to understand. And then as I started to do it more, I started to not want to be told good job or anything like that. I think one of the biggest things that I, that I don't like about the, the scene right now is there's a, there's a really big, like, I feel like no show is complete without a good job fest. Yeah. That's like immediately afterwards, just a big group hug online, all that stuff. And it's like, I love that. I think it's supportive, but I, but there is a stifling aspect yes. of that. Yeah, and, and and this movie stated it in a way that I I couldn't ever put my finger on. Like, why are people uncomfortable with that? That mm. like like people that I really respect and I think are good at this. Why are they uncomfortable with being told they did well? Mm-hmm. And why am I starting to become uncomfortable with being told I did well? And I think that that is it. It's like not not wanting anyone to give you an inch. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Because if you're given an inch, you can rest on your laurels. Oh yeah. yeah. And you want, and I think the the attitude that everyone has in whiplash is if someone says good job, it's like you don't even know what good is. Yeah. Why? Why does that? What that means nothing coming that's from you. That's what the kid you, says you know? at the dinner table. He says, "Isn't that subjective?" No, fucking, yeah. it's not. Like it's it's not. It doesn't mean anything from you when you say because you don't fucking know. Oh, yeah. you don't know if you're in tune or not. Just like, you don't know if you're too fast or whatever. Yeah, it is. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's that's uh, oh, what was the line? The guy was just like, oh yeah. Come play with us. He's like, yeah, that's yeah, four yeah. words you'll never hear from the NFL. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. That line, so good, so. Sm- oh, I honestly, I, I really think Miles Teller is like my biggest outside of. Uh, I, I would actually put it alongside David Oyelowo for uh, mm. uh, uh, Selma. Selma. Uh, in terms of a nomination, I, I thought he was great. I, I was just saying to to Pete this morning that like as much as everybody talked about J.K. Simmons and he is fucking great in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, I think he's going to get the Oscar. Uh, Miles Teller stands toe to toe with him throughout the whole movie. Oh, absolutely, he's really, really. I good think in this that's movie. probably what hurt him is that because J.K. Simmons, you put him into Best Supporting Actor mm-hmm. when he shares the same amount of time as Miles Teller. I would definitely say that Miles Teller is the lead. Yes. But to nominate him as best actor would see I, I don't know there just seems to be a weird mean. a weird thing there where it's like y- you almost want to put them both in best supporting or both in best actor and you mm-hmm. can't and now we're in this weird eh, it's politics at the end of the day it is yeah you yeah know? and it, it's it's dumb but at the same he, time I will argue that man. J.K. Simmons he's an older guy and he consistently puts out great performances he's amazing if this is the one where he shines and gets his statue awesome totally awesome Miles Teller's got another fifty years yeah. and his great performance hasn't happened no yet. totally yeah. I mean, that's why I'm still cool when people are like, how did DiCaprio not get one? It's like, well, at the end it's of the day, when, of we, to make. when we look at what gets DiCaprio his fucking Butch Cassidy Oscar, you know, when he's like an all-timer, 
his Oscar is going to look a lot better than, say, a Jennifer Lawrence Oscar that she got for Silver Linings when she was 22 or whatever. Now, I'm not knocking that. She was wonderful in that Mm -hmm. movie, but she's another one where, to me, that's like her great performance. Like, she's put on nothing but the best performances. She's she's outclasses ever been in her movies, Mm -hmm. but her great performance... Hasn't happened yet. I would agree. You know, and I, I would say the same with DiCaprio. He mm-hmm. continues to wow me. So it's the like, same with Teller is probably true. Yeah, and then of course there's the the Oscars are arbitrary and stupid. <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, yeah, but Miles Teller, like I have, that's why he's I forgive great, it is man. because he's going to do some great work. He also he did this great. I thought one of his great moments in this was, uh, and uh, maybe this is a little mean to say, but he had this weird, just this like slight autism to him throughout mm. it. Like when he uh, is breaking up with the girl, especially. He clearly has no understanding mm. of what emotionally this means to her. Oh yeah. He only, and what's weird is I I totally, I totally get what he was him. going for. Not yeah. only do I understand him, like I have I I have probably been him in in situations Absolutely. in my life, or and maybe not as frankly stated, but certainly, oh, but I've had that same exact drive. Certainly yep. in that thought process. Um, uh, I don't know that I've quite escaped it. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's that that is when you are driven for something like this. I think that that is is always well, to clarify the for the listeners. Oh, yeah, he sorry, essentially, no. very frankly, tells this girl that he's dating. You know, they have like a charming, you know, nineteen-year-old's relationship, mm-hmm. and he basically tells her, like, "Listen, I want to be the best, and I know." That I can't have any distractions of which you are one. Yep. Uh, no matter and how this shakes yeah, out. Yeah. No matter how this whether shakes out. Whether you're endlessly supportive, somehow you're gonna resent me. Yeah. Or, or you're just gonna resent me right away, or tell me you don't. You know what I mean? Like well, one I way or the other. I think his explanation was that if I feel like you're holding me back, I won't be able to help but resent you, right. and that's not fair to you. Which is actually a nice. He's uh, trying to be thought. fair to her. He's he trying thinks. to be fair, but he's not being nice because that's mm. the thing. Like you said, he has no grasp of what the emotional thing is Mm-mm. but it also at the same time i feel like maybe he considered that previously right and entered this situation just ripping the band-aid off yeah, yeah, yeah let's yeah. just rip the band-aid off and move on yeah and it's it sucks uh, she puts on a wonderful she performance great, too I thought, I mean, she i've never seen her anything before i thought she was great let's uh well, i, I mean, thought she was really really good and uh very beautiful she was she was like a really beautiful young girl and they had this great joke about her jay leno chin which i thought was great seeing like a, a like a beautiful young actress in, oh, yeah. in maybe one of her first roles right probably an early role in her career and immediately start making fun of her appearance Extremely. she was in like an episode of law and order an episode of law and order svu yeah glee what's her name uh her name is melissa benwast M- melissa benwast she was great and I, I thought that was really interesting, actually, and, and like ups to her, she just immediately starts making fun of her appearance in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I feel like as a beautiful young actress, actually, like that's not how you want your first. Her, you know what uh, I mean? her intro uh, was was amazing. Oh yeah, when he uh, first asks her out, and he's just like, "Hey, you know," he's very awkward, like you know, maybe we could go out and you know get pizza or whatever, and she gets real upset, and then she's just like. You should go. Yeah. And he just kind of, oh, uh, okay, and like breaks it. And she holds on to that for a minute. And then it's like, oh my God, I'm just kidding. And then it turns out not only was she fucking with him, but she's excessively charming and mm-hmm. super into it. It's wonder. It's a wonderful moment. I want to talk about that moment, though, because mm-hmm. it, it, it builds into another moment I wanted to talk about. Uh, him as a people pleaser, which mm-hmm. I think is a really important part of Andrew's character. Mm-hmm. Um, that scene in particular, I want to talk about two scenes. That one and the one with his dad at the beginning of the mm-hmm. movie, where he's also at the movie theater going to see a movie with his dad. So, in, but we'll stick with the girl. In the scene with the girl, uh, when she says, "Like, why would you ask me that? You should go." I think that's what she says. Something, Something like, like that. that. Yeah. Uh, he immediately go. He says, 
oh my god, I'm so sorry. I am yeah, so yeah, yeah. sorry. I, I I didn't mean to do this. I'm so he sorry. He always acts like he's suddenly aware that he did something wrong when he really did. He did nothing yeah. wrong, and I think he knows he did nothing wrong. Yeah, yeah. He just whatever her reaction he's such a people pleaser that whatever she wants from him she's gonna get it mm-hmm. she she didn't like that and that means he should feel like a piece of shit okay i'm a piece of shit i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i, yeah, I am yeah, a piece yeah. of shit you're right with his dad in the opening scene in the movie one of the opening scenes of the movie um he goes to the movie theater and they're, they're just sitting in the movies and they got a big bowl of popcorn and then he's got raisinets andrew has raisinets and andrew pours the raisinets into the middle of the popcorn and his dad well, the dad tells him to do it right tells he's him to like do it. he's like oh yeah pour in there. Yeah. and he puts him in and the dad kind of like gives him a thumbs up like cool i love this you know and the dad digs yeah. in and then the dad looks over and notices he's just eating the popcorn and he's like what do you eat some raisinets and he's like oh i don't like the raisinets He's like, well, what'd you tell me to put him in there for? And he's like, I just eat around him. Yeah, yeah And he yeah. goes, I don't understand you. Yeah, yeah. That said everything to me about and Andrew. And this movie is, that's one of the conflicts of the movie is him almost trying to shed that. Yes. You know, it's not until the very end where he quite explicitly just does what he's not supposed to yep. do that he sheds that. Now, granted, at this point, he's essentially broken. Yes. You know, it's... Uh, it's Completely broken. You know, I complete, mean, completely broken. He's given up. There's, there's a wonderful story about uh, when Adrian Brody won Best Actor for The Pianist. When he got the role for The Pianist and he has to play a guy who, you know, lives in Holocaust era, I believe it was France. Mm-hmm. I, forget, I, I don't know. It's I, been I so long since I've seen it. It's a good movie. It's been a while, but mm-hmm. he's really destroyed. And so Adrian Brody gets the role, dumps his girlfriend, moves out of his apartment, essentially becomes homeless, stops eating, basically just tortures himself. Why? Because he thinks he's, he's going to give him you know, a better performance. Mm-hmm. Wins Best Actor. Mm-hmm. And, and deservedly so. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I can't help but think Adrian Brody had that conversation with whoever this, I, I think it was even his fiance, mm-hmm. where he was just like, this role is more important than what we have. And when you look at his career... In that respect, he was right. He launched a career with he that He launched Oscar. a career, yeah. And it's, you know, you don't get no splice without it. But you wonder he how got to make a predator. You know was. how few people get to make a predator? Well, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's probably about 200 people at this point that have made a predator if we consider all of the, uh, all of the uh, uh, entries of that series. But, but, I mean, either way, you know, you don't get to work with Topher Grace in a predator unless you've done... Uh, no, and it's it, you just wonder how similar that situation was, yeah. and then you go, okay, you know, do the ends justify the means? And then the question is, it, it depends on what you want your ends to be. Yeah, and that is something. This is what I thought about last night that I think is so interesting about Whiplash, is that it doesn't. It asks sometimes literally every question. Uh, you know, and it, a few that come to mind. One is, you know, how far is too far? Mm-hmm. You know, if you push this guy to breaking, blah, 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 and all that. The other question is, let's say nobody threw a symbol at Buddy Rich. Mm-hmm. Would he have still been Buddy Rich? Right. We don't know, but maybe. Right. You know, maybe he didn't need that. Right. Maybe Andrew would be this amazing drummer completely on his own accord. We mm-hmm. don't know that. Mm-hmm. And it asks all these questions, you know, and... uh you know, it, it did that guy kill himself because of his time with Fletcher? You know, we don't know. Our Fletch and it asks all those questions, but it doesn't provide a single answer mm-hmm. to any one of them. Because at the end of the day, we can look at his performance at the end and go, "They did it." Yeah. Or we can look at it and go, "I bet he would have done that anyway." Mm-hmm. Or we can look at it and go, "Ah, you know what? That wasn't really what you know." And there, there's no answer to any of that. He's just going to get added to the mythology of greats. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, will he become a great? We don't. We know. don't even know that. Yeah. And so I, I just love the the ambiguity of 
did the kid make the right decision or would that end still have happened the same way? Right. And the answer is, I don't know. Yeah. And there is no answer. Yeah. You know, if we remove Fletcher from it, would that kid have become that great of a drummer? Mm-hmm. I'd like to think so. Yeah. Um, the only time he ever, I mean, he was, he was working to the point of bleeding in just the opening shot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then again, you know, there was a point where he was broken. Yeah. Did that break push him to greatness or was that just an ancillary thing? We don't know. And I think that's so cool about that script. Yeah. To not, especially in terms of the teacher student dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, there's, there's movies that have, uh, you know, uh, teacher, uh, okay, Dangerous Minds. Okay. Uh, or fucking McFarland USA, the Kim <laughs> yeah. one. Spare parts. You know, teacher gets put in a situation that they don't want to be in, mm-hmm. sees greatness that the students don't see, pushes them to greatness. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Then there's one where it's like, you know, uh, like a Rocky, where it's like thrust into greatness, teacher sees opportunity to really shape somebody. But then there's something that's, you know, like whiplash, where it's, you know, this kid is is entering this world willingly mm-hmm. with a teacher that is entering this world willingly. Mm-hmm. And there's no, I see something special in you and I'm mm-hmm. going to create it or anything like that. It's just a collision. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I'm trying to think of a, a good example of, uh, you know, there's always a point where, where the teacher either goes, now I'm noticing you. Right. Or you have become better than me. Right. Congratulations. And there's none of that in Whiplash. No. It's so anti that. It's well, it plays like a, I've heard people describe it this way, and it really does. It plays a bit like a thriller. Like mm-hmm. he, uh, if you want, if you wanted to take it in that context, uh, you would say that Teller is sort of the hero of this story, and that um, uh, Fletcher is is the villain of the story. If, mm-hmm. if you wanted to paint it in those broad strokes, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, and in doing so, you get some really interesting things, like to, like I, you know, we we spoil these movies all the time, and we've already done it enough with this, oh, so yeah. I don't mind saying this, but like. One of the one of the great moments in the movie is right before they get on stage for the fu- actually as they're on stage for the final performance of the film, which is actually a performance that you know uh, I guess it is meaningful, right? There's industry there that it turns out oh, right? yeah, yeah. there's industry there, so it is meaningful. But it's it's him. He's not performing at the school anymore. Yeah, it's Fletcher's not the just got greatest his own, band in the yeah, country performance. It's just yeah. Fletcher has collected some people together. This kid happens to be the drummer, and he gets the kid back on board. And this is after they have built a very complicated oh, yeah. relationship. This is after the kid destroys uh, Fletcher's yeah, destroys career. Destroys Fletcher's career. Yeah. Uh, but which then the question is also: Would his career have floundered eventually anyway? Right. Probably. Probably. Yeah. You know, he, um, he was doomed to that. But at this think. point in the story, uh, we don't know that Fletcher does know that uh, Andrew destroyed his career. We don't mm. know that as an audience. Mm. Uh, uh, in fact, as far as we can tell, he probably doesn't know that. Mm. Uh, and that's why he's letting Andrew into this band. Yeah, and yeah. then as they get to the stage to begin this final performance, Fletcher leans over Andrew's drum kit and goes, you don't think I don't fucking know that you're who told them and ruined oh, my yeah, career? Yeah. That played so big for me. Like the fucking like pl- the rug that gets pulled out from under you at the end of oh, a thriller. Yeah. And that see, is that like, moment. See, that was one of those things where I kind of just suspected, like, I bet he knows. Mm-hmm. But... To me, it played in his head like, here's a man who learned something. Um, he learned that maybe his methods were too much. Yeah. But that moment is so great because that's the moment where we see a, a reversal on it where Fletcher has been doing something and now he's hit a roadblock where someone just someone threw a symbol at his mm-hmm. head and said, You can't you can't do what, what Schaefer needs you to do. And that's the moment where he says, "I'm gonna, f- I'm gonna continue turning this kid into a fucking beast." Mm-hmm. And right before this performance, does that hits him with the wrong song, and, and and that's a wonderful thing too when he hits him with the wrong song because at first it plays like, 
oh, he's just trying to be a dick. This is vengeful. But then we discover, no, 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 this is him trying to really pull some emotion out of this kid. Uh, see, I actually, so I disagree with you. I think, it's, I think it is vengeful. I think it absolutely starts as vengeful. I don't think he knows this performance is going to end with him becoming great. I don't, I don't think, think so. I don't think he thinks this performance I is, think, but I think he's trying to break him again. I don't. I, I, I Actually, I agree that he's trying to break him, but I think he actually is trying to break him. Now he wants this kid to break down and crumble for what he did to him in his career. Oh, see, I don't, I don't I agree totally at all. I totally believe that that is what that's about. He, when he see, that re- to me is a failure on Fletcher's character then because that's him giving up no and um it absolutely is because it's him going i don't care about this performance i just want to see this kid fucking cry Mm -hmm. i don't think that that's there at all because his whole thing is just i i'm trying to break this kid you know that's the moment where he's like this is my chance that i've had yeah but see we already disagree on that in the first place i don't think he was ever trying to break the kid he wanted the kid to be great once the kid ruins his career now he does want to break the kid the way he got the other kid to commit suicide now i don't think he did that on purpose but now he knows he's capable of that and now he's just like I just want to break this kid. He ruined my career. I want to break him. So he but starts. See, I don't this think he even ruined his career so much. He just lost him the job at Schaefer. I mean, this is still a very prestigious performance. Yeah. And I, I, I and I think what to to bolster my point is that there is no backup drummer in that scene. Right. So when that kid leaves the stage, he takes the stage and starts doing shtick where he's like, oh, it's a little yeah, crazy on the percussion and all that stuff. He, he smiles as that kid gets up to leave the stage. Because he, he knows he, he's coming back. He, he revels in it. So I think he knows he's coming back. I, I truly think that that moment is meant to be very vengeful, and that's why I, I think we wouldn't have gotten the you don't think I fucking knew that you told them. He says that with such vitriol and anger. He says w- everything with vitriol and anger yeah, that wouldn't have been, before every performance. That wouldn't have been there, I don't think, if it wasn't for like how he really, I think he, and that's why he switched the piece. He was grinning the whole time he switched the piece he loved watching that kid not be able to do it he loved watching that kid get up to leave and when the kid comes back he has a look on his face like are you fucking kidding me and then when it starts he's still like what are you doing and then there's this competition of the kid being like no no no, we're doing what i'm doing now mm-hmm. and at first he's like what the fuck are you doing he even leans over the set and says, what are you doing and then the kid takes control and he says follow me and then eventually fletcher looks around realizes what's happening and realizes he's getting the performance that he was looking for when the movie started and suddenly they together create that amazing See, I, performance. I agree that he was not necessarily expecting that great performance that night, but I really don't think it's about vengeance in even the slightest amount. Oh, I do. Um, it, it, to me, that that makes the whole movie bad. No, um, it makes it it makes it suddenly cheap for me to have so. to have it. Uh, you know, it, it makes it cheap to have it where it's just like, oh, cool, this villain's now destroyed. I, I don't like that because it doesn't. But he's not destroyed. Yes, he's, he is. No, he, he's he, not. Of uh, J.K. Simmons' character, essentially by being vengeful, gives up on his own dream of creating no, but, the but, best. But he ends up creating. Like, the, but what ends up happening is the best is created because he gives up. I don't. So I don't no, I don't but, think that. but I mean, I know what you're saying, but that isn't. But that isn't what happens. Like, yes, he gives up, but the end result does end up being this amazing piece. Does end up being this amazing drummer playing this amazing piece. He gets the thing that he was driving at all along so in the end it's not defeating the villain it's actually validating some part of him in some way and the kid at the same time it's kind of amazing actually that's what i think he it's i don't think it's a vengeance thing because to me i don't see this teacher throwing this whole band under the bus especially one that he already said like this is a great opportunity for everybody just to spitefully hurt a kid who you know although it's not in there has been uh i don't think rehearsing with and all that stuff and I, I don't see the vengeance being... No, of course, it'll but the be way informed you just stated it, I don't think makes sense either because he already had the band leading up to this. I think this was an opportunistic thing for Fletcher. He already had this band. He was going to be doing this festival. And then he sees the kid at the jazz club. Mm-hmm. And then he sits down and has the conversation with the kid where he very specifically manipulates him and acts like he doesn't know that the kid 
told the school. And I think I think that's him just still seeing what he initially saw in the kid it, and finding an opportunity to draw a great performance out of him. I don't think so. I, 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 really, I don't. really don't see vengeance in it. I do. Um, and and I, I just feel like his character is not vengeful. It's about creating... I, I don't see any vengefulness in his character. I mean, they, they go out of their way to show... Uh, obsessiveness, sure, but not vengefulness. And they even go out of the way to show that when he's not leading the band, he's a hell of a nice guy, you know. And he's so you don't think there's anything wrong with a guy that lies to a group of students that his student died via a car accident, as opposed to killing himself potentially due to the way he treated him. That's not what I'm saying at all. But let's talk about that completely different thing. But I mean, but that it, that does make him somewhat of a uh, of like a dark person. Like he's not just this nice guy that happens to be mean in the room. Mm. There is something dark inside of him for sure. Oh, absolutely. For I mean, sure. there's definitely something. He dark manipulates of him. and lies to all of these kids. I think that story is is more of a self protection thing because he says the car accident thing because I, I feel like he knows if he says this guy killed himself that questions will be asked. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's more of a self protection thing. I mean, mm -hmm. he's clearly emotionally ruined by it, and he plays the song for everybody, gives them the speech about it, and I, I think for, for me, if he opened up and said this guy killed himself, that would be a moment of weakness in front of his band, mm -hmm. as opposed to a moment of stoicism. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, where I think that lie comes from, but I, I just don't see him as being vengeful about that. Um, even when he comes out and says to the kid, like, I, you know, I knew it was you, you little prick, or whatever... I, I still I see that as the same as when in practice he called him a, a faggot lipped cocksucker. Mm -hmm. Like I think it's just vitriol for the sake of you want to be my drummer again? You better fucking beat the shit out of these drums, mm -hmm. you know, and do it now. That's how I read it. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't see it as a, a vengeance thing. I, I don't know if he saw that performance necessarily being the end of the movie, but I think he saw that as an opportunity of like you know, let's let's challenge this kid. Mm -hmm. He's on the spot. Mm -hmm. You want to be a good drummer? Let's see what you can do. Mm -hmm. And that that's what I see out of it. I just, I don't, because so many other details don't lead me there. Like, he's very specific about you need to have the music with you on stage. Like, all of the things that he's been, like, very specific about, like, this is what it means to me to be good at this and to be mm. great at this. He undermines all of that in that last performance. He lets him perform without books because he knows the kid knows how to play it without books. Well, a song that he's practiced without books, not that song. He specifically chooses a song that the kid doesn't have a book mm. for that he doesn't know. Oh, yeah. I think he's trying to to elicit a good performance out of him through that embarrassment. I don't think it's to embarrass him just to shame him. I think it's for him to go... It, I, how should I put it? To embarrass, he's, He is purposefully embarrassing that kid on stage, yeah. but I don't think it's out of vengeance. I think it's to draw that... that but what, logically, what possibly could you draw from a piece he doesn't know without the music for that piece? Embarrassment. Right. Uh, that kid feels to embarrassed and goes, I fucked up. Now I've really got to fucking play. But 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 he fucked up something impossible. Everything else that he got him to fuck up was something he could have been doing right. Mm -hmm. This is something there's no possible way he could have done right. Absolutely. Putting someone in a lose-lose situation is a very real way to get them to produce. Produce what? It's impossible for him to produce the correct thing. Yeah, and he doesn't produce the correct thing. Right. He goes off stage, comes back, sits behind the drums, and puts on the greatest performance of his life. Which he couldn't possibly have known would happen. No, he didn't know that was going to, like I said, he didn't know that was going to happen that night. But he wasn't just trying to be like, ha ha, this guy's an asshole. I he totally ruined my he career. Was. Fuck you, fuck you. I totally think he that was. sells out to me the whole character. I, but I think that that is specifically how the entire scene and story plays, for sure. I don't, I don't agree in any way whatsoever. Yeah, okay. I couldn't agree. I couldn't disagree harder, <laughs> I'd actually have to say. Okay. I, I just feel like that is the point of the movie. Yeah. Is that this obsessive son. 
he saw another opportunity to finish his job of making this kid the best drummer, mm-hmm. and he took it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't see it as being a vengeance thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was a if it was a vengeance thing, not only does that cheapen the character to me, but just on a logical level, that's dangerous for him as a teacher. You want to ruin he's your not career a teacher anymore. Uh, but he's the he's the leader of a still very prominent nationally recognized band. No, he's and the leader of a local that, band that he put together to be part of a national uh, absolutely, contest. and that nas- that's nationally recognized. People are yes. looking at it. I mean, but he says it even before the performance. Yes. There are people that watch tonight. Yes, you want to kill your career, you throw your whole band under the bus to to embarrass one kid out of vengeance. But the way that that e- final performance even plays is, if I was in the crowd, I would have been flipping out with how emotional that was. E- uh, but uh, Fletcher gets nothing out of that performance, by the way. It's just because it's his bit. Like, Fletcher is not going to gain anything. What he's Fletcher spe- gets what he wanted the whole time. He just pu- he just made a great performance. I, I understand. But logically, back to your point, what you were just saying, the logic of, uh, the, oh, this is like this great opportunity for Fletcher and his band. It's not an opportunity for Fletcher. It's only specifically an opportunity for the people playing the music on the stage. So it doesn't matter to Fletcher if he flows, throws them under the bus. He doesn't care about them. He only cares about the drummer. You mean you want him to... He, he's he's willing to be completely un, unemployable forever? He wouldn't be unemployable. Because those the industry people he's talking about, he specifically says, are there to see those musicians and hire those musicians to mm. do things. That has nothing to do with Fletcher. I, I, I mean... They wouldn't because if they embarrassed themselves, any it wouldn't have anything to do with Fletcher. It would be, you know, I think it would have musicians. everything to do with Fletcher. He even when he's doing the Schaefer one, his big thing is like, we win. I'm not going to start losing right. now. It's an it's an ego. But thing he doesn't for work him. there anymore. I mean, that's already over. That's I all. Just, already I don't over. see why one person would make himself unhireable to embarrass one kid out of spite, specifically because that kid just, helped I, make him. I unhirable. just disagree with you that that would make him unhireable. That doesn't make any sense to me. I, I if if uh, if my drummer walked off stage and we couldn't finish our set, I don't know. I feel like that would hurt the. Uh, it would. That's it what would I'm saying. Certainly hurt his in career. In that situation, in that scene, it's not a career thing. It's a festival specifically about industry people seeing musicians. Mm-hmm. Fletcher's not a musician. They're not there to see Fletcher. Fletcher is a musician, um, but I mean, at the at the same time, those things are for that as well. He's those just the conductor of that. For that. He's the band leader. He's just, yeah, he's just the conductor for that band. Those industry people, he specifically tells them, this is how you guys make or break your careers. Your performance here tonight makes or break your careers. It doesn't mm. have anything to do with Fletcher and his career. I, I, I just still don't see why. He, I feel like that would be damaging to his career. I just He already doesn't have one at that point is, is part he of the does. point. He does. He has a job. It's... Uh, he Not is working. Really. He he is a musician that plays you know plays clubs at night. He He's does playing all that. at a piano bar. But uh, yeah, and that's I mean it's a job. Yeah, I just I to me that sells out the character entirely. No, it for doesn't. his whole thing was getting a great performance out of this kid, and he does it. But see, I think um, the reason I have a problem with that is because then what you do is you t- you take out any to me that takes out a lot of the darkness of the character that does exist through the whole movie, like you. To me, you're kind of saying that then everything he's done is pretty justifiable. I think in, in the terms of, of the results in the movie, sure. But you just said I at do the beginning it? of this podcast, you think it's absolutely the wrong way to teach any of I this. I think it's the wrong way to teach it, but I, I also said that the results are there. Yes, they are. Um, I, and I'm I not agree that, with I, that I think that those results could have been but those results come from a dark, way. angry, vengeful man. I mean, what I... Uh, to to defend myself to say that I am not being hypocritical as to what I said at the beginning of the podcast is just that his uh you know the results are there. Do I think he could have gotten those results differently? Absolutely, mm-hmm. but that's not what the movie's about. Right. He got those results with his methods, and that is the end of the movie, is that he did get those but results. But I think you with can't erase from those methods the darkness. Like that Nor is Nor am there. I trying to. But he is an angry, vengeful, dark person. 
That is I think he's an true. angry, dark person. I don't think he's vengeful. I, I think he is. I, 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 think, I think he's prideful clear. and I think he's obsessive. Yeah. yeah. I don't think there's an and ounce of vengeance, vengeance anywhere in else him. in the movie. I, I, I think it brings out some vengeance in him, all of those qualities. I don't think you can. And I don't. And, and or I, what I could also say is adding vengeance to those qualities does not suddenly erase everything about what he's doing or the movie. I just don't see any evidence of vengeance leading up to that point. It, I mean, I th- to me, he's manipulating this kid 100% mm. from the beginning of the movie, but especially when you get to... I mean, he when he outside of the, the room like kind of compliments him, all he's doing is drawing him in to be able to squash him like that inside mm. the room. He's but I also think he's being honest, too. He's, I think he's he being a little bit honest, but because he's got this darkness to him, yes, he does those, those, those moments of vitriol to eventually try and like squeeze something out of these kids, but there's a real honesty to those as well. In the same way there's an honesty to the compliment he gives them, there's an honesty to the insults he throws at them as well. Oh, absolutely. That darkness is real, it's there, and I think at the end of the movie, what we're seeing is these two men pushing each other even further, right? Mm. It's not just him pushing the kid. It's the kid pushing him, too. They push each other to this place of a real competition on that stage together that probably is not good and is actually them having very, like, dark emotions towards each other and trying to beat each other. And in the end, they end up together creating this amazing performance, and it's what this guy was talking about all along. Oh, it's yeah. pretty amazing. Uh, but I, but I think, think that, that comes was, from uh, a real darkness, and some I of it is a I think it comes from vengeance. real darkness, too, but I... I I think that that his goal with doing that was that performance, not to just spitefully get revenge. I, I don't see that there. It, that might it may be that I he, mean, sure, he it draws to that, from spite I, because he that's is what angry. That's but there. I don't think that his purpose of switching the songs was just. I don't think his end game was to just be like ha 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 ha. So it may not have exclusively been that. I think that is one hundred percent part of what he's doing there. I it, mean, it's him using still, a real experience to draw emotion it. from a kid, he's but still, I don't think it's it's. He's I think still, his goal was to get him to play better, not to embarrass him. He still may have wanted to get him to play better, 100%, because at the end, that is what happens. But I think in, I think 100% of that is, well, 50% of it is getting him to play better, 50% of it is I also get to have this amazing moment of embarrassing the fuck out of this guy. He gets both, and I think he wants both. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's enjoying the fact that he's yeah. embarrassed, but I don't think that he's doing it just to ridicule the kid. I think his reason for doing it is to get the kid to use that embarrassment in, into his performance. That, that may be true, but I think that embarrassment is real and it's there, and he gets to, I mean, he clearly loves it. He manipulates that situation. Oh, of course situation. he loves it. I mean, that's, that's he what he does. He manipulates that whole situation specifically to have that moment of that kid getting completely embarrassed. Absolutely. And getting to love watching him get embarrassed. And I, But I think that that's, I mean, it's the same reason why he makes fun of him for his mom leaving. It's the same reason why they do all that, that is because he just wants him to feel broken so that he can do it. He throws a chair at him. Yeah. He screams in his face. He tells him to suck cocks. He does all this stuff. I think that's just another one of those. I, I don't I see how that's an any added different layer. that time. No, I think there's an added layer to this I one don't of see a it. little more spite. And We're talking in circles. We should move on. The, um, what's it called? Because, yeah, we can talk about this till we're blue in the face. The, uh, where is it? I wish this had an editing nomination. I do, too. For, Th- for there Oscars. is no editing nomination, right? Oh, there's, there's editing nominations. Is there? Yeah. Because mm. the, the editing in this is incredible. Let's it's, like, really incredible. What is nominated for editing? I didn't, I didn't know they nominated for editing. Because it, it, it is, like, astounding. It, it's edited to, essentially, the bebop. It's, anytime there's accents, the camera will cut on the accents. Uh, as, as you're, you know, as they're trying to set the scene of the city it's in, it's just cutting on the downbeats. It's, it's Actually, really, really well done. 
tell what city it was in. I wonder if there's information on it. Yeah, I couldn't figure that out the whole time. We were talking about that at one point because there's only in the very beginning a couple sparse shots of a skyline. And after that, it's all uh, it's mostly interiors and the few exteriors are not, you know, clearly indicated to be in, in some specific city. So yeah, film. Oh no, film editing, Whiplash, boom! Oh, it, it is. is nominated. Good stuff. Good. That one I'm rooting for. It is nominated against American Sniper, Boyhood, Grand Budapest, and Imitation Game. Um, the only one that I feel like has any sort of notable visual editing would be Grand Budapest. But then with Boyhood, you have to think of it in terms of taking something that is editing twelve pretty abjectly non-cinematic and yeah. turning it into something digestible. Yeah. Um, American Sniper, we could have edited two and a half hours out of that movie <laughs> and just left it as a book. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, so it goes. So, yeah, it's uh, best. I- I'm into that. I think that the editing is super strong. It's astounding. Because they hide brilliantly the fact that Miles Teller can only play drums a little bit. Yeah. You know, like, he, he can play well enough. Mm-hmm. It's he apparently obvious worked that very he does hard some... to be able to, oh, yeah, to play I mean, pretty well in this. No, no knock yeah. at him. He, it, what he does is more than I could ever do. But there's parts where there's fills and crazy stuff and all that. And it's not until it's over that you realize, like, oh, I didn't even see any of that. Mm-hmm. But it's just, boom, it's sold. And so I think that uh, that is uh, to hide the fact that he's not playing in a way that doesn't expressly just, like, let you know that we're hiding the fact. That <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. You know, like, it's it's like the, the classic, uh, you know, Austin Powers gag where he'll turn and someone's holding a banana in front of where his dick is. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one part where it's kind of noticeable where he goes to do a fill and in the foreground, J.K. Simmons' shoulder kind of, kind <laughs> yeah, of like, yeah. bumps in. But it's so smooth and all that, and it's so kinetic, and so, you yep. know, boom, 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 be boom, be boom, be boom, yeah. and it just, you don't think about it. I think you said it when we were watching it, that it wasn't until it's over that you go, was he actually playing? Oh, yeah, we're beyond that. Yeah, you know, yep. like We've moved beyond, the, you know, it's, it's it, wild. He, the, the camera work is so kinetic and energetic, and the editing is so so quick and so timed to the music in interesting ways that, like, I just kept forgetting to look for the places where they were hiding him as a drummer, you know? Mm. And any time that I did think to look for it, to be like, oh, where's the part where I can't really see his hands or whatever? They would just have this great, intense close-up on Teller's face as he was drumming really hard. So it's like, oh, he could just be like essentially having a convulsion into the camera and not even have a drum set around him, and I wouldn't know the difference. They could just put a drum frame in front of the lens and have him just dripping with sweat and blood. And I wouldn't know the difference, but it fucking, he just, he performs it so well. Like, he is so convincing in his performance of being... A, like a, a good hardworking drummer in the midst of a drumming frenzy that like it's you know the the way the camera then moves and cuts around him so that we don't have to see him actually doing that it, it is it works 100% of the time there was like not a moment where I was like oh this is kind of taking me out of it you know what I mean mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is rare I think for a performance movie well the um I, I compared it last night to uh, Sweet and Low Down. Yeah. That movie, all right movie, good Woody Allen flick. Yeah. Uh, Sean Penn plays a like folk singer in it. And it, his guitar work is just so grossly false. <laughs> like, you don't even have to know how to play a guitar. You just have to know generally how a guitar works to look at it and be like, he is definitely not playing this. Like, the music's great. I, yeah. The music's very enjoyable. But uh, it, it's... As someone who plays guitar, and even as someone who who doesn't play guitar, you know, at, at all in any way, well, it's so noticeable that yeah. it almost, if it weren't covered with the, you know, the the frosting of of a Woody Allen movie, where you go, okay, this is just kind of hyper realistic, it would be so distracting. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like when they would when they would have a band on Saved by the Bell, and it was just oh, the yeah, word, yeah. you know, like like come on, <laughs> everybody's just bopping back and forth, but nobody's really doing anything on the instruments. 
Uh, I thought the uh, the the actual sort of camera work in this was really impressive too. In addition to the editing, there was a lot of like really sort of interesting things that this guy was doing with the camera that I just wouldn't have expected in a movie about musicians. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it was just it was so alive and so kinetic in a way that I just wouldn't anticipate Even this like story would elicit. Played like you were watching a televised big band moment. Yeah. But then there was also like quick, like Guy Ritchie almost style, just mm-hmm. montages yep. and stuff. I mean, anytime that, that you can that you can integrate actual footage of the notes themselves in just static shots on the page yeah. and make it feel action packed, like that's film music. Yeah. That's like that's some cool stuff. It, uh, yeah, I was just I was very impressed. I, I I couldn't believe how you know partly because so many people have been talking about this movie and how great it is, but mostly what I keep hearing people talk about is the performances. I guess I just didn't expect it to be so um, filmically interesting. You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 I I was very impressed uh, by this from like a filmmaking standpoint. So I'm looking at this. That's uh, okay. Uh, oh, you know what was really funny and interesting was the backup drummers. Oh, they were just they the were such idea good of backup drummers was so funny to me, and they had these great uh, uh, actors play these 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 young backup drummers that like throughout the movie go from being the core drummer to the backup drummer to the core drummer again, and you just get to watch this insane journey that these. Because the interesting thing about this movie is like nobody else in the core actually seems to have the same experience as Andrew's character. He doesn't seem to treat everybody else exactly this way, uh, but I think we're meant to think. Everybody does have this relationship with him. We're just not seeing everyone else's story and everybody else's individual experience with yeah, Fletcher. Yeah. Uh, they're the yeah, only. You wonder other... if he's a if he's a pawn in Fletcher's uh, game to turn a drummer out of one of those guys. O- yeah, or even a horn. What I mean is like there's so many other players oh, yeah. too. There's horn players. There's you know what I mean. There's like all these different guys that do different things. And in the beginning, we do have that moment of him being like, "Somebody's out of tune. You're fucking out." You oh, know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. So we do get that moment of like, and I love that too because he wasn't out of tune, right, yeah. but because he didn't know, that's good enough. You're yeah, out. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, but they so you have this like. It was weird because, like, you sort of feel like Andrew is the only one that he treats this way, that he's trying to elicit this out of. But it does seem to try and imply that, like, everybody else kind of has their own journey with Fletcher that that might be similar to this. Uh, But those drummers are really where that gets characterized in a a very interesting way. You Mm. get to watch these two other guys get brought up and brought back down by him kind of over and over. Making drums makes a more interesting movie just because it's a distinctly more physical instrument. You know, it's just a more... But this is a uh, this is just an interview with Damien Chazelle, who's not even thirty yet, fucking Whoa. asshole. But the um, it's with the dissolve, and one of the questions is: uh, I've read that Miles Teller did almost all of his own drumming, that he was a drummer already, but didn't know anything about jazz drumming, and you and other people had to teach him that for the film. Did you have to visually cheat around anything in terms of his ability? And his answer is much less than I thought. Certainly one thing I should clarify, he did pretty much all of the visual drumming on screen, but the audio of the drum solo at the end is mostly not Miles. He's not actually the greatest drummer on planet Earth, but he learned how to seem like he was the greatest drummer on Earth. It's all about visual tricks. It's about doing stuff that looks difficult, but isn't that difficult. As a drummer myself, I knew what those things are. Piano's the same thing. It's really easy for pianos to do fast arpeggios and for people to look at it and go, wow, but it's still actually easy. As a drummer, it's pretty easy to do fast stick work and spin around and do stuff that's really fast. There are just certain, kind of thi- certain kinds of things that you can do that look impressive. Mm-hmm. 
And then uh, this part here. Ironically, some of the hardest stuff Miles had to do in the movie was just some of the beats, not even the drum solos. Just the beat to Whiplash is really hard. That's mm -hmm. a beat that actually sounds easier than it is because it's in a weird time signature and it's just fucked up. So yeah, so he, you know, he openly admits like, you know, uh, it, it's easier to hide it in drumming yeah. just because it's so physical. It, I was it's interesting that the writer-director is a drummer. Yeah, it is know? really interesting. And that his other movie that he wrote is based very distinctly around... I, I mean, honestly, if, if I didn't know any better, I would just think Elijah Wood knew how to play piano right. that well. Because mm -hmm. like, uh, that movie shares some of the, the same things with this, just some tricks to make it look like he's really playing very well. I was actually thinking that the whole time I was watching this. I knew just enough about drumming to know that, like, you know, as you're listening to some of the drum tracks in this, you can hear, like... Um, this is going to get... I, I don't know enough technical terms to speak this technically, but that's what's about to happen. You can hear a lot of sticks hitting the uh, the, the skin, I guess. I don't know how you describe that, the, uh, the, the drum head. Mm. Uh, and a lot of that is actually sort of like controlling the bounce of the stick as opposed to like you one-click, two-click, three-click, four-click. With one press down of one stick, you actually get three or four clicks out of that stick because you let it sort of like glide and bounce in a controlled way across mm. the top of the drum. And so what you can do, what actually you can be just sort of like in almost a slow way doing like one down, two down, three down, four down. This is probably making no sense to people listening, but actually have it yeah, sound whatever. like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, oh, four, yeah, one, you two, bounce three, four. The stick, yeah. Because you're bouncing that stick. That's and how so a drum like, roll happens. Exactly. And so like you can actually make something sound crazy that is not actually that crazy to do with drums oh, yeah, yeah. with just a little bit of talent on, i mean a lot of bit of talent but like not oh, yeah, quite yeah. the talent that somebody like buddy rich would have you know what i mean and, and i think with drums is it moves so fast that even if we just don't record sound and yeah. have someone like beat on it and then just have drums you know drum audio yep. you could probably hide much of that and it uh, when we saw it last night that was my second time yeah so i was kind of looking for that mm -hmm. and there was a couple points where it was like oh it's pretty clear that 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 sound isn't the same. You know, like, yep. it just made a snare sound and he hit his tom. Yeah. But at the same time, it's so fast and yeah. it's so cunningly directed that you can barely notice yeah. that. Um, yeah. What a great choice to have the 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 jazz songs they chose be these really fast ones so that, like, that stuff is a little more, you know, hideable in the editing. The One of the two interesting things here, uh, one is that uh, J.K. Simmons has a degree in conducting. Whoa. So that's, I uh, that's where that, that, that came because from. Because I know this sounds weird, but, con you know, those hand movements you do in conducting look like you know like nothing really but they're very specific i know mm. uh and i was i was curious if he was do i don't know enough to know but i was like oh, very yeah, yeah. curious it's one of those things where it's like he could be wrong and yeah, i would never know i, I yeah. wouldn't know but i was really curious i was like does is he doing the right ones or is he just is he just a good actor and he's like making these apparently he, uh, knows. he nailed it but uh, uh so damien chazelle saying that this is like based on an amalgamation of just tons of stories he's heard in the same way that like a celebrity chef, like when you when I think of like like uh, what's Kitchen Nightmares guy that fucking oh, I don't know, guy. I don't know. All I know is if Gordon Ramsay, if okay. I was cooking a hot pan of grease and he was like, you know, get fucked, bro, yeah. I, I would have no, I would he would probably push me to the point where I'd dump it in his <laughs> face and go to jail. And uh, it's that same level of insanity where it's just, uh, you know, I, I I'm good, but I'm better at seeing who's better around me, so I'm gonna you know push you mm -hmm. know I'm gonna push them, and so. It's just it's that same type of a character, and so apparently that's prominent in the music world. Yeah, is these people that it's some level of those who can't teach. But to jump back to what we had essentially disagreed on, 
it turns out that we're both essentially right. Okay. Because the uh, the writer director just said his main goal with everything was to make it as ambiguous as possible. Yeah. So that you can just read it how you want. Okay. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean that that also goes to show. You know, we could have gone another hour talking totally. about that, and that goes to show how strong his script is because there's not really anything in it that could objectively say one of us is correct or incorrect. I was actually really excited by that conversation because, it, uh, to me, a conversation like that only points to sometimes that can point to a film that you know just doesn't have a um, didn't know enough about oh, what yeah. it was trying or to do, or one of us missed something. But or it's clear that we haven't missed no, something. Yeah, that conversation really excited me because I felt like. We <laughs> All it did was was sort of hopefully it paints for the audience like how interesting this movie is. Oh, and absolutely. for me, what that points to is one of the most interesting things was watching this movie as an artist. Mm. The way it sort of um, I hate saying that sentence, but as an artist, the, yeah. watching it was like I was having all of these. I was relating to both of the characters in in ways that I maybe didn't expect to, oh, but yeah. made me remember things about myself that I'm just I'm not always consciously aware of. Oh yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Made me remember how unconsciously driven I can be to sometimes like harm myself or other people around me to do the thing that I am trying to do regardless of what that means for my life or its impact on anyone else's life. Oh, absolutely. Life. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there, I think there's a certain level of selfishness that comes with, with artistry. Yes, yeah. Um, and I hope that that, because I feel like that's sort of what that conversation about that character sort of started illustrating was like, as an artist, I have such complicated feelings about what it means to do what I do, what the impact of what I do might be on the world and the people around me and myself and my personal life. Mm. And the fact that we had such conflicting opinions about what even this guy was trying to do with this kid, what his art was versus what that kid's art was, really to me illustrates like what that conflict is just within an artist themselves. Oh, absolutely. You know I mean? Absolutely. I, it's That's one thing that... The, the question that I'm always asking myself, especially if I produce something that I'm proud of, yeah. and, and it's uh, this is the curse of anybody who's creative, Like I'll, I'll finish writing something that I'm super proud of, I'll look at it, I'll read it, I'll read it over, and I go, wow, I don't think I can... I don't think I can edit this into anything better. I, I think I nailed it. Put some time into it. But is this the best yet? Right. You know, and that's where, you know, like, uh, now I'm going to do this. As a writer, mm-hmm. as as a writer, one of the things that, that I've been both lucky and unlucky with is that any of my writing tasks, very rarely do I have to go through an editor, and I very heavily wish I did, mm-hmm. um, simply because it it's... I can't view anything I write as a reader. Mm-hmm. It's part of my job to do so, mm-hmm. but that is an inherent impossibility. Like, There's no way to, to essentially separate myself from the process of when I actually wrote it. Mm-hmm. So you need that third party to go, this is what worked for me, and mm-hmm. then you can meet in the middle. And so I wonder, um, I mean, when you talk to any writer, they always have the same like, can't live with them, can't live without them about their editor, yeah. where it's a love-hate thing. And now granted... You know, with Fletcher being so villainous and definitely a dark person, yeah. you know, there's definitely more of like an uh hate. But at the same time, like, what a good editor. Yeah. You know, he yeah. really nailed it. But of course, that once again begs the ever so ambiguous question of would this kid have been a great drummer without him? And the answer is dis- definitively. I don't know. I don't know. I have <laughs> no idea. This is no, definitively I don't know. I have no idea. The thing I really oh man, the the one of the things I like about this movie is the idea of like this movie sort of assumes that there is such a thing as greatness, mm. right? Or, or at least the characters in the movie do. Oh yeah, yeah. They assume that greatness is a thing 
It's out there and it is achievable. I know I said this at the beginning of the podcast, but like it kind of blew my mind because I feel like normally movies about art tend to ask the question, what is greatness? Mm. Like, what does greatness look like? What what does it look like to become great? How does one become great? This movie doesn't ask, what is greatness? This movie goes, greatness is a thing mm. and it looks like this. It's oh, definable. Yeah, yeah. It's not subjective. It's definable. It looks like this. Now, how do we get there? Yeah, what does yeah, yeah. that look like? I, that was very interesting to me. I don't think I see that story that often. Oh, no, not Does that at make all. sense? Well, I, I think most most movies that are like this, that are just the story of working towards something, yeah. it's working towards the big fight. I mean, that's what's so interesting about the final performance is that if we weren't cued by the movie before it, that doesn't really play as a final performance mm-hmm. until those credits roll and mm-hmm. you go, oh, okay. I mean, they could have done another scene where the two of them go out to dinner and do all that or they go on tour and do all this and do all that. And, you know, what makes that scene so powerful is, one, is these two guys are no longer constrained by the the uh, reputation of the conservatory. So, like, you know, Miles Teller doesn't care if this performance goes poorly because he's kind of given up on it. Yep. Same thing with, with J.K. Simmons. I mean, he obviously cares to make the performance good for, for the sake of putting on a good performance. But when the opportunity arises to... You know, fuck around or do whatever. whatever this something is. out of this kid. He's no longer. I mean, it, it's even when he when he says them, let's have fun out there. Yeah. And it's just a. He's no longer. He no longer has the reputation of the conservatory to uphold. So now they're doing this, but there's no big like. It's not Rocky getting to Apollo Creed. Right. It's just how do you how does one quantify greatness? Yeah. You know, that performance could have been a one off. Yeah. That kid could that could have been all he has and expended it. You yeah. know, that could have been a fluke. Yep. Uh, when I used to play guitar, one of the first songs that that my guitar teacher we we would always learn, and uh, at the end of our lesson, we would pull out tabs for some ridiculous song and slowly work through it. So we were doing "Sweet Child of Mine," mm-hmm. and when he builds up to the solo, Slash does this, and it climbs up. And my teacher was like, "You know, on the record, that's probably the only time he ever played it that way." Uh-huh. He said, "This is one of those things where." He's getting to the solo. Whatever happens in this little bridge point between there, he's like, he's just slopping around because he knows his guitar inside and out. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it's, you, and, and you just wonder, you know, next week, is this kid capable of, of doing, you know, Caravan that perfectly? Right, right. Possibly. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe he just nailed it that once because the circumstances were proper. Circumstances and you motion. Know, and maybe he goes on to have a great career. Maybe he kills himself next yeah. week. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I liked about so crazy, and you know what I liked about that moment? Once him and Fletcher finally connect and are on the same page, which mm. doesn't happen until about halfway through his drum solo. I oh would yeah, say, yeah, when they finally both realize like this is it, like we are having the moment. Mm. You know, I, I feel like that kind of happens halfway through there. They they connect and realize. Like, oh, well, having, he starts to do the yes, yeah, they, with they, his insanely huge turtle biceps. <laughs> Uh, J.K. Simmons is a ripped man for for being in his, I would assume, sixties. But uh, and you could not help yourself, but every twenty minutes or so, he's be astounded by how much he looks like a turtle. He looks like a turtle, man. <laughs> he would even when they would do the sideways shots where where Andrew's sitting at the drums yeah. and he's leaning in from the side, yeah. and he would be sideways. And as he's like thrusting <laughs> his words at him, his head is like dipping in and out of his shoulder shell. <laughs> and it was one of those things where, you know, there. Th- I, I can imagine someone who's not familiar with band just being like, uh, this is kind of extreme. This yeah. is this is fake. Not realizing that there is some level of truth there. Yeah. And that have that would take them out of it. That didn't take me out of it. The but, only thing that could have potentially taken me out of Whiplash was moments where I was like, he looks like a turtle man, like it was, hard. <laughs> it was always after his most intense scenes. We'd get to the very end of a really, really intense scene and Dan would be like, Whew. 
he looks like a turtle. Man. <laughs> he looks. He does. <laughs> he's insane. But at the at the same time, I I think that that he's capable of. Uh, there's a fire in your house. I think there might be. <laughs> he's uh he's capable of. Um, okay, it's good. Someone put cool. out the fire. Uh, I I think that that uh part of his strange physicality uh, is what makes him so imposing. Oh so yeah, threatening. yeah. I mean, when you look at at um, okay, look at J. Jonah Jameson, which is uh. Uh, J.K. Simmons' character in uh, th- too many initial initialized names. When you <laughs> look Spider-Man at F. Murray moves. Abraham, I <laughs> mean L. Ron Hubbard, I mean you know um, no. When I when when you look at a uh, uh, like J. Jonah Jameson, mm-hmm. you know he's J.K. he's like, he's a character actor, and they kind of build this cartoony look on him. Mm-hmm. But that cartoony look plays as monstrous in Whiplash. Yes. But then when you look at something like Burn After Reading, mm-hmm. where he's just kind of the outside narrator. That that the way that they paint him makes him look like an everyman, yep. you know, just like uh, you know, just a regular everyday guy. So I I think for a guy who's a character actor, to use that character acting to really put some some meat on it. Actually, fuck, I saw a documentary once about Pete Rose. Okay, that was completely arbitrarily narrated by uh, J.K. Simmons. Oh, weird. And um, and it was great, and it just made him seem like oh, I'm a good old American guy. Love baseball. Let me tell you this story. And when they did a Q and A, I asked the director. I said, "Why J.K. Simmons?" And he was like, "Honestly, he just came to us and was like, oh, can I do it?'" <laughs> you know. And so it's it, it's very clear that that I, I think he's he he understands how he looks mm-hmm. and what he's capable of. How he's able to, to mold advantage. that exactly. Yeah. It's what Johnny Depp used to be good at. Yes, yeah. And and kind of just you know has gotten lost in recently. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what he used to be good at, and and whereas Johnny Depp now, you see his character and go, "That's ah, another Johnny Depp character." Yep. When I watch Whiplash and I watch J. Jonah Jameson, like they're both distinct characters. They're both J.K. Simmons, yes. but I wouldn't go like that's a J.K. Simmons right. character. No, yeah. And and for that reason is why I think why I'm really pushing for him uh, to to. He I mean, even great. over Ethan Hawke in Boyhood, who it's like just for technical prowess alone, that should get him an Oscar. Uh-huh. But when I watch that movie, I go, okay, Ethan Hawke is essentially playing a version of Ethan Hawke, mm-hmm. which is what he's supposed to be yeah, in the yeah, movie. Yeah. But I don't necessarily see as strong of a performance. Whereas like J.K. Simmons is Fletcher is is this. I mean, w- we can agree he is this villainous villainous dark character mm-hmm. whose methods are questionable yeah. at at at. At the least, but he's you know? also somebody you can relate to in a weird way, or and at you least can I relate could. To, well, right? I like, mean, I think anyone who has a passion yeah. can, and it's just when does that passion become an obsession, yeah, yeah. and to what degree do we allow that obsession to to become a, a managing force? Mm-hmm. But I, I just to, for me that he becomes a character that, despite the fact that he distinctly looks like J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. He's not. Well, uh, that gets you the Oscar. Okay, you I'll me. tell you what speaks to that. We spent this whole podcast referring to him as Fletcher and not being able to remember Miles oh, yeah. Teller's character's name. Oh yeah. Because oh, Terrence Fle- Fletcher is such a good villain name. <laughs> well, absolutely, but he it, fight it, Bond. <laughs> it speaks to how much it speaks to how much he bec- he makes Fletcher a character, right? How oh, much absolutely. it's not J.K. Simmons, it is Fletcher. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I would love to see J.K. Simmons take a stab at a meaty Bond villain. Oh hell yeah! I mean, we're getting Christoph Waltz. I know, which is going to be so fun. great. I mean, you, oh yeah, you saw Skyfall. I have not yet. Uh, actually, oh, you I haven't? Because I I, I want to see that down, Harvey and Bardem performance. He's terrifyingly good it is another one of those movies where you're just like so your plan was for everything to go like, yeah, like yeah, what's yeah, the yeah. plan <laughs> that is one of my favorite things that keeps hey, happening i'll tell you just, what what's the plan whiplash is a movie where that actually makes sense you get yeah, to the oh, end yeah. and go so your plan was for everything to go wrong and get here oh yeah, actually yeah. yeah it was yeah pretty much <laughs> uh, well and and but that's that's the other 
you know, that's the thing is like for a thing like like Skyfall or the movie we were talking about the other day, nonstop. Yeah. Where it's like so they planned for it not to go off. You know, the I, I think Fletcher's plan was just I need to make anybody and everybody quit. Yep. And those who still don't, I gotta try doubly hard. Yep. And if they still don't, I gotta try hard. And and it, it's one of those um there's there's a great line in the in the James Conn movie, The Gambler. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an obsessive gambler, and Paul Sorvino kind of plays his mentor and like his bookie and all that. And he says, "There's one thing about all gamblers: you play to lose." Mm-hmm. He said, "Winning is never good enough. You play to lose." Mm-hmm. And I think that in that same thing, J.K. Simmons, like there will never be a point, even after that final performance right. ends, where they're on the same page. I don't think there would ever be a point where it would be like we're equals now good work i think it would just be like that was good but if you ever fuck with my show again i'll kill you see you next week at practice that relationship either continues Mm -hmm. or ends there and miles teller's character goes on to like try and build his own career without him i think uh fletcher his whole thing is just to push to the point of termination and if that essentially means pushing until he or the other person dies that's and and that that is the obsession yeah you know and the fact that that uh andrew is willing to you know, give up his girlfriend, give up everything, give up even a, a level. I mean, not give up, but certainly um, go against his dad's approval, his comfort say. level. Because even his dad says to him, like, let's go home. This isn't worth mm-hmm. it. And when he says, let's go home and gives him the hug, you can almost, it's one of those moments, not literally, where where Fletcher's head would pop up over his shoulder and say, there's nothing more dangerous than good job. And I, that's dude, when I'm he right goes there back with you. To the I, stage, I felt you know? that too. I knew that's exactly what was happening. Exactly. Yep. You know, that that was an Obi-Wan moment where yeah. he tells him, like, remember that, you know, yep. where you see uh what's his name? Uh <laughs> Pat Morita tell him wax on, wax <laughs> yeah. off, and he goes back. But it's that moment without, you know, uh li- literally being yes. so. Yep. And 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 so even that is just him. He goes against his dad's mm-hmm. wishes, against you know, and that obsession is matched perfectly by Fletcher's obsession of just I am going to constantly try to obstruct your progress in mm-hmm. the name of your progress. And the only thing that's ever going to terminate the, this relationship is if you is if one of us dies or you quit. Yep. And it's just the meeting of that mutual obsession that does create a product. And I think to further your point, if Andrew were if Andrew were to like after this performance either they would continue having this relationship, it would never cease. There would never be a moment of good job or anything like that. It would just always be this competitive. If Andrew were to quit, but to like quit and go on to actually become like a great studio musician, whatever, somebody that is one of the greats, that still wouldn't be enough for for Fletcher. Fletcher would find another Andrew immediately. Oh, absolutely. And try and go, you know what? I did make somebody great. I want to make you better. Absolutely. It, it just wouldn't be enough for him. Well, his his one thing that I thought was a really interesting line, he referred to um, you know, good job, you know, being bad. And he said, because in that moment, you deprive the world yes. of something great. And it's like what an ego yeah. to really, but at the same time, like it takes that ego to, to make it in, yeah. in some way. I mean, people always harsh on uh, Kanye West and his ego. I mean, it's no different than any other, any other musician. Mm. So it's kind of unfair and mm-hmm. probably a little racist when people do yes. it. But, you know, people ask about the ego, but when you think about like, and especially in hip hop, yep. there's, there's a, I mean, I know a lot of people that consider themselves rappers and they're by no means um, untalented or anything. Right. But part of that game is, I have to just accept or force myself to believe or delude myself into believing that I'm the best Mm -hmm. because it's the only thing that's going to push me past my circumstances. Mm -hmm. And it's that ego that actually really does become an impetus for success. 
And so it's it's admirable in a way for both of these characters, and that's at least where I have that relation to them. Is that I almost wish I had that that uh, you know that ego that's just like I am the best. I just have to work to prove it. Mm-hmm. Thing is, me being who I am, you know, I'm not going to forsake my family. I'm not going to leave right. my girlfriend. I, right. I these are things that carry equal value to me as my yes. passions. I'm probably also not going to be one it's of like the where, greats. I know. It's like, yeah. where does that leave you? It's so uh, it's such an interesting question. And, but the thing is also, that's the thing that I, I am at peace with. Right. Is it's not my goal to be one of right. the greats. My goal is to enjoy doing the things I'm passionate yeah, about. Yeah. And in that, so, but I do find some envy and I do find some, you know, I, I wish I had that drive, mm-hmm. but I'm unwilling to make that, that mm-hmm. uh, currency exchange. Well, and I did like that uh, in that dinner sequence, they they sort of have a discussion that happens more and more now that we're in this like YouTube generation where anybody can be quote-unquote famous, but oh, yeah. what does being famous mean, blah, blah, blah. And people want to be famous. It's like, you know, you, you read art, dumb articles all the time about like, that's a thing kids say now. Like, I want to grow up to be famous, and how oh, horrible yeah. is that? At that dinner table, say that. at that dinner table, they have a conversation where he goes, "You don't fuck it, like you know who Buddy Rich is, right? Like you oh, know yeah, his yeah. name." And so what he's doing is he's putting the idea of being famous in a specific context. He's not saying, "I want to be famous in the context of like I want everybody living right now to know who I am, my oh, name." Yeah, yeah. He's he doesn't saying, care about the mansion or the pussy or any of that. Fuck. Yeah. He if he made no money through his entire life or career, it wouldn't matter to him. All he cares about is that once he's gone. People know that name, and, and that's actually that a cool dad the dynamic there. Because even the dad was just like, "Well, you know, he was dead at 38 from a heroin overdose, a broken man." It's not what I want for my and son. His, yeah, that's the I can't want that for yeah. my son. But then his response is, "I'd rather be dead and remembered at 38." And and I love the the guy from Twin Peaks says. Uh, he says, like, well, and he actually makes a valid point. And he was like, well, that's not the point. Your friends will remember you. Right, yeah. And he was like, well, that's not the point. We're all talking about Buddy Rich. Right. You know, like, and that's... That scene was great. And it depends on what your value is. Yeah, you know? and exactly, like, yeah. To me, like, it, it's of higher value to, to have a strong bond with my family, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I am jealous of the people that can just be like... I'm not coming home for dinner tonight because I have work to do. You yeah. know, like that's. I mean, you know, uh, there's also that conversation about like, uh, you know, s- sometimes miserable people make the best artists, and mm. sometimes I wonder if that's because, like, you know, well, somebody that doesn't have their parents anymore doesn't have their parents to be responsible to anymore. So, like, absolutely, they can they can um, invest in their ego a little more. Oh, absolutely. You know? I used to always joke. Uh, uh, when I was doing a lot more comedy in the city, was like, well, all the best comics are the ones that are unemployed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. Yep. Uh, you know, I mean, all comics are sad. Y- yes, Wrap your yes. brains around that immediately. Yep. But the best ones are the ones that are unemployed simply because it's like, you got time. Yeah. You know, you've yep. got time to do it. And, you know, this this kid was willing to sacrifice all things that take up his Pretty time. Pretty much everything. Just so he can sit there and put another bandaid on his, his wrist and start, yeah. you know, drumming again. It's, yeah. It's amazing stuff. I really like this movie, man. I'm like, glad it you did. I was very curious as to year, how, I I'd honestly, upon like rewatching it, it it bumps up higher on my list, mm-hmm. um, partially because like even the second time around, I felt the excitement, I felt the the tension of it, mm-hmm. even though knowing the results and mm-hmm. all that, um, I still felt impressed by how non uh, n- uh, non traditional it was. It is pretty non traditional, but I, I even think as a narrative, yeah. Oh, it's it's completely non traditional. Yeah. But I think what really makes it shake up my list is just the fact that this the, it's. I mean, it really is a movie-movie approach to a new type of, of not new type of script, but a non-traditional mm-hmm. script. And for simply being something that, that is informed by a lot of previous efforts, but is unlike them in, in, in that respect, mm-hmm. 
is so impressive and so rare. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is an original. I, I like that about it. And, and that, what a what a big movie that is so oh, small. Yeah. That is so oh, small. Yeah. It was a I small, can't imagine this low was budget movie. Well, let's let's talk about that. One of the hurdles that they had with getting production funds, what they did was they produced a scene from the movie. Hmm. It wasn't a short film version of the movie. It was just a scene from the movie to shop around and say, look, I can direct. Mm-hmm. Check out this script. Mm-hmm. We need production costs. Mm-hmm. So as a result, the Academy has listed as an adapted screenplay. Whoa, I was going to ask you about that, how that got listed adapted. It's adapted from... <laughs> But the thing is, it's not even adapted. It's just the rest of the screenplay. Now, at the end of the day, is this the kind of thing that that matters to the filmmakers? Dumb academy, not at all. That's all that is. Exactly. But and and so uh, and actually, I was listening to script notes. They were talking about this specific thing with the academy. It goes a lot on precedent. Mm -hmm. Whereas, well, here's a movie that that you know we we got to keep it in tune with this. But in terms of of adapted screenplay, I forget what the example was. They go either way on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Writers Guild gave it a ri- you know gave it the original screenplay nomination. I think it may have won, which is crazy because that is who is going to pay him for this script eventually. So really, you would think the decision would be on on them. I believe. Oh yeah, yeah. not that they pay him, but like the, you know, I mean, the Writers Guild decides the rules for like how a script gets called like written by oh, and yeah, like yeah, all yeah. of that kind of stuff. So you would think it's it would fall stuff. a little more on them. Well, with the Academy though, you got to wonder too, where it's just like, okay, we've got five nominees for best screenplay. Yeah. And we really want to get whiplash into one of these. They do. We do can a little argue bit of that, that it is sometimes. adapted. Yeah. And although it isn't adapted, it's just the rest of it. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, though, I don't think the film filmmakers could give two butt fucks Probably about it. Not. They're just happy to, that yep. they have it. But um, I and I'll, uh, I'll tell you, I'd rather see it win for a best picture than for a screenplay. To oh, be honest, I think overall as a picture, it's much more impressive than its screenplay probably is. If that makes sense. Well, here's a question too that they brought up on script notes that I, I have an opinion on, but I'm going to ask you yours sure, first yeah. before they do it. When giving something a writing award, uh-huh. a best screenplay award, are you basing that award off of? Should you before casting your vote base it on? I'm checking out the screenplay or do you base it on the movie and how the script is used in the movie? I understand what you're saying because often movies go into production with a Mm. screenplay, but through improvising on the set and things like that, like what you get as a viewer is not necessarily the screenplay that was written. So that's what you're saying, right? The difference between the the screenplay as written and sort of what is presented on the screen. Not even necessarily the difference between, but it's like, if I'm the guy, let's say, let's say I am Oscar and I have to pick one great screenplay. Yeah. Is my opinion more valid if I read all of the scripts oh, and pick oh, one, mm-hmm. or if I see all the movies and pick my favorite scripted one? Man, that is a really good point. I, f- I feel my uh, this is my gut reaction to that I I actually would love to think about that to really know how I feel. My gut reaction is it would have to be on viewing the movie more than reading the script, and I be- would agree because at the end of the day, the product is the movie. The exactly. product is not the script. The product is and and see that that's why I agree is because like a writer's job is to write a script for a movie. They're mm-hmm. not they're not being judged on a document, right? You know, they're being judged on this product. Mm-hmm. But then here's the counter argument to that. You put a, and they talked about specifically this example. Okay. Transformers yes. gets a sound editing yes. thing. And so the one guy on the podcast says, I don't care for the Transformers movies, but they're always nominated. Is, is it okay for me to just pick one isolated scene that, you know, the sound editing guys would say, this is where we shine, mm-hmm. and judge it based on that? Or do I have to watch the whole movie? 
And in that one, I actually go the other way and I say, I think you can judge that on one mm-hmm. scene, you know, um, because the sound editor's job wasn't to produce a movie. It's the, like the sound editor is provided with a movie mm-hmm. and then they just make the sound mm-hmm. work. Whereas, you know, the script writer, they're not presented with everything and they're just a piece of the movie. So yeah. whereas like the sound editing, you're almost judging something in post. Mm-hmm. Um, the, but but then again, the argument could be made like, what if there's a huge fuck up in the sound editing somewhere where it really loses you and you didn't get it? And so I ask you where you sit on that. <sighs> I, I feel like you're going to be frustrated with this answer because I'm almost going to walk us slightly away from what we're talking about. But mm. but but it is to to get to why I feel this way. That is one of those awards that I just feel complicated about in general, where it's like. <sighs> I can go see a movie and there are things like the script and the acting and the editing that mm-hmm. just are apparent to me immediately. And I can, as a viewer, just go like, oh, well, that's good. And that's not mm-hmm. sound editing is not one of those things. Yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like that is such a technical thing that very few people in the world truly understand it mm-hmm. and would understand if someone was actually making like an achievement Right, oh, quote unquote, in the world of sound editing. So that is like a weird award to me in the first place would, would be my first thing with that, where it's like, I, I don't know how I feel about that one as much because I just, I don't feel like I know enough about sound editing to yeah, like yeah, have yeah. an opinion about it. Oh, no, I hear you. But it's also, here's the other thing I would say about that. What I know, and I do know just enough about it to go like, is there even one movie every year that truly makes an achievement, quote unquote, in yeah, sound yeah. editing? And in, then in another variable and too. Directing and editing, I think yes, you could probably point to a few movies every year and throw some nominations. Up I think the them. best sound editing. It's one of those things like you don't even notice it. Probably, well, if you notice it, it's probably not the yeah. best. Yeah. Uh, the, but then the other question is this too, and, and with sound editing, at least uh, in terms of you know, I'm a big fan of. You should try to see everything on the big screen. Mm-hmm. If a movie's directed for video on demand, mm-hmm. then it's not such a big thing. But, you know, with the intention of a sound editor, their job is to make sure that when you sit in the theater, it's coming out of the right area. I know, yeah. It's cut together and all that. And nine times out of ten, I would say that Academy members are watching a screener DVD at their house, mm-hmm. which, you know, they may or may not have good sound, but. It just seems like a difficult one to award. I totally agree. Like conversely, I watched the conversation, mm-hmm. and I thought the sound editing in that movie was absolutely flawless. And the only reason I noticed it was because I watched it on my iPad with my headphones in. I was just going to say it, that that worked too. It, it's Gravity such a weird is thing. a movie where I could tell you oh, distinctly yeah. I knew and understood that that movie did something with sound editing that I had never heard before. Now I saw it in a the theater where that stuff is way more apparent anyway, mm. as we just said. But two, it's one of those things where it's like, that to me is a reason to nominate it and maybe just give it an Academy Award, right? Is because like, I could sit in a theater and go like, holy shit, what is this? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. With a script, with acting, with directing, I think every year, year after year, there's multiple movies you can go like, yeah, what is this? What is this? I want to nominate this. I want to talk about this. Sound editing, once a decade, I would probably go like, whoa, I'm noticing something. Let's oh, talk yeah, yeah. about this. I'm curious as to what's nominated for sound editing. Because here's the thing. I was just going to bring this up too. I bet had I seen Whiplash in theaters... I might be sitting here talking about, I don't know why this isn't nominated for sound editing. I bet in a theater, Whiplash has a ton of sound editing stuff that's really interesting and cool, right? It's all these drumming sequences. It's got to have really, I would uh, hope or imagine, in the way that the filmmaking is dynamic, the sound is too. It is nominated for sound mixing. Interesting, yep. 
Um, which, honestly, to tell you the truth, I really don't know enough about It's like, what's it. the difference between mixing and editing? It's not nominated for sound editing. Um, yeah, honestly, I, like I said, I really and don't know enough about it. that's my point with that stuff, is like, I feel like that is, those are the kind of categories that are relegated specifically. I almost wish like the Academy didn't vote on those, but just like a union of sound engineers voted on those. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, Like, yeah, people yeah. that actually know what the fuck they're talking about. So the nominees for Best Adapted Screenplay, and it's crazy, are American Sniper, okay. Imitation Game, okay. Inherent Vice, Theory of Everything, and Whiplash. And uh, it's just, see, I, I have a hard time picking one out of here because out of all of those movies, I think I like Whiplash the best. Mm -hmm. The one that um, I'm most familiar with both the original and the other one are, are Inherent Vice, nice. and that's an extremely impressive adaptation. Right. Which, um, which you and I talk about all the time. To us, oh, that's yeah. very impressive on its own that's right. That's hugely impressive yeah. adaptation. But the thing is, to me, Inherent Vice should get that award, um, even though I think that Whiplash has a better screenplay, mm -hmm. simply because, to me, achievement in adapted screenplay, right. that means more to me in regards what, to Inherent what Vice. What Inherent Vice accomplished is more in line with exactly. what that award is, is, is meant to award. Now, had it been... and. and you know, had it been an original screenplay, putting those two up against one, I mean, putting see Whiplash to me, I, that that hurts it in that category. Because what would it be I up against see, if it were an original screenplay? Now, this is where it gets. Uh, th these are all good. Um, Birdman, Boyhood, Foxcatcher, Grand Buda Budapest, and what I would give it to even over Whiplash, Nightcrawler. You know what's funny to me that that because here's an example of that. So now Foxcatcher gets original screenplay, which I, I understand why. But that's based on a, on real events, right? So oh, like yeah, that yeah. is a in the way just in the way that Whiplash is quote unquote adapted from oh, yeah, yeah. a scene that he made. Foxcatcher is adapted from the real story that was written. You we know have what a I mean? guest in the, the studio. The real story that was written, not the real story that was written. The real story that happened. That happened. Yeah, you and know in, in mean? a way that is an adaptation of an event. I mean, again, we're splitting hairs and y yes, you know, yes, yeah. yes, but yes. but I see what you're saying. Like that to me could be argued. Um, as adapted just as much as Whiplash exactly could. yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's, so and but I agree with you though so here's where it would get interesting if Whiplash was put in that category I'd have just as complicated feelings about like which one would I would I nominate necessarily oh, you yeah. know? and and that's the thing to me like whereas I think Whiplash is a better screenplay than Inherent Vice Birdman might be the most original giving, there uh, giving putting Whiplash up against a Inherent Vice with uh in adapted knocks Whiplash out for me yeah whereas I do whereas I still think Whiplash's screenplay is is uh, vastly superior to Inherent Vice. Mm -hmm. Just putting it in Adapted knocks that out yeah. for me. But if it was in original, I would say fuck off everybody and give it to Nightcrawler. I, that, that See, movie and that's is what, like that's so what's good. so interesting too is because then you put it in original and go like, man, Whiplash was super. I'm, I, I'm not, I think actually what's funny is what Nightcrawler I think was number 10 on my list and, and mm. now at this point I think it's grown in my estimation to be way higher on it's my list It's still my year. number one. Um, I bumped Birdman back to three to put Inherent Vice there and I actually after last night might even bump that one more just mm -hmm. to put Whiplash at two. Mm -hmm. It's so and and because you know this, everyone complains about this year coming up is a lot of franchise stuff. Now, yeah. granted, it is a lot of franchise stuff mm -hmm. that I'm interested in, but we will definitely be looking back at 2014 as the year of like some really cool original oh, shit. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, with Nightcrawler, Birdman, Boyhood, Grand Budapest, like super interesting original stuff. Um, I mean, Under the Skin is adapted out of a book, sure, but it's not a franchise thing. No. That is an original movie. Mm -hmm. You know, there, it's it's a lot of. There was a ton of great original stuff. Hell, this year. even even Lego is based off of a product, right. but that is that is a hugely terribly original. Uh, original idea for a script and Absolutely. a lot of fun. You know, yeah. 
Uh, I, and I actually think we're going to find that 2015 is not going to be as bad as we... I mean, it is oh, going yeah, yeah. to be rife with all Those these Those are just franchises. the movies that get pressed this right. early. Because yeah. as we move to the close here on this episode, you know, Sundance just happened, and I've been reading about a lot of the stuff that came out at Sundance, and there it sounds like some like oh, really yeah. great, like Whiplash, small original movies that hit at Sundance this year. I think, oh, absolutely. I think 2015 is going to have just as much of a crop you of like, great original seek stuff. You just got to seek I, the, there's a Duke of Burgundy the that's the new Ben Wheatley that's uh, Ben Wheatley's new movie Duke of Burgundy is going to be at the Ritz in a couple weeks awesome um, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night yeah, is coming we'll that's that. going to be awesome yeah. um, fucking oh, there, there, like, there's a lot I've, uh, I've already seen two this year that I thought were absolutely jaw-droppingly amazing uh, Most Violent Year mm-hmm. totally original that. that movie is a goddamn masterpiece mm-hmm. And um, what we do in the shadows, ah, which is the, one of the funniest movies I've seen in ages. I want to see that. And uh, totally original. Yeah. I mean, granted, it's a vampire movie, but it's oh, yeah, I heard it's great. That's a good movie. Uh, yeah. So I just I think we're gonna you know you just have to like for you and I I feel like most of our favorite stuff this year is not what the Academy is talking about this year. Some mm. of it's there, not a lot, not all of it though. You mm-hmm. know, and, and that's just how it is every year. There's certain uh, stuff can and it follows is gonna drop oh, for everyone wait, else I this wait, year. I can't wait. I can't wait. I, I hope I'm not just overhyping the fuck I, out dude, of it. Dude, from what I've heard, you're not. I, I, every it's blog I read. Everybody that's seen it talks about it like you do. Um, you want to see if we can find some negative opinions of Whiplash? Um, let's see. I'm very curious if anybody came down on this movie. I'm sure someone did. There's a lot of dickheads. Well, that, yeah. Uh, Although it could be argued if you give it a negative review, you're actually just using the Fletcher method yeah, of exactly. inspiring Damien Chazelle to try harder next time. Which, honestly, when he gets funding for his next movie... Psh- Dude, I, I'm telling you, like, even though Grand Piano is a much lesser movie than Whiplash, it that is an impressive screenplay and a fun oh, screenplay absolutely. and a cool little movie. Like, this guy is oh, an interesting writer. In and that's the thing. What I like is that it has some similar elements, but yes. for the most part, it's just it just shows you can write a clean script. Yeah. So you want to take a guess as to the Rotten Tomatoes score? Uh, yes. How about eighty-eight? Ninety-five. Whoa. And um, all right, let's see. It's gonna be tough. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in on this train as well and see if I can help you seek one out. Uh, this movie struck me as unreal and vaguely ridiculous. I found it easy to imagine Will Ferrell in the role of Fletcher, a switch that required no decrease in the tantrums and and no change in, and then it cuts off. Honestly, that's a comedy I'd watch. I, listen, <laughs> totally, uh, if you play it like that, that would be funny. You know what that just reminded me of? I forgot to say through this whole review there that I less. also found this movie pretty funny. Like. It, a lot of the scenes that are meant to be really intense are very intense. But if you have the right sense of humor, they're also funny. Like well, those are other parts that were meant to be oh, funny. Oh, yeah, for I sure. Mean, for sure. a couple lines. But I think he is, even though it's a negative re- review. He's not wrong. I think if you put Will Ferrell in yeah. it, it would be, and you don't even have to change no. the script that much. It would be fucking funny. That's what I'm funny. saying. Yeah. I think there is actually a lot of underlying humor right. to a lot of this. Let's recast this movie real quick okay. with that. So with we have Will, Will Ferrell, Ferrell yeah. as Fletcher. So who plays my, who plays Andrew is, Andrew, is my, my biggest um, curiosity. I would put as Andrew. Um, oh, now I'm not going to think of his name. Yorma Taconi. Oh, okay, um, yeah, he's, yeah. He's the little brother in Hot Rod. What about? Um, uh, wouldn't it be really funny to see Jay Baruchel play up against a big Will Ferrell? Ooh, Jay Baruchel, because he's got that little look. Like he could do. He the- could do the little look, but I, I feel like he might be too. Uh, uh, what's the word? Woe is me. Oh yeah, like and he, I he wouldn't would have think, the drive uh, that Andrew. What's the guy's needs? name from? Um, Oh, he was in Coffee Town. He's uh, oh, I, uh, I didn't see ben, Coffee Town. Ben, uh, I'm not gonna be able to help you. Ben Johnston is it? Ben, uh, what's his name? What's he from? Uh, he's a, he's in one of those shows, and I don't know if it's Parks and Rec, Community, The Office, or the new girl. Of that show. Is it that guy? Is no, it's not Jake Johnson. It's not Jake Johnson. No, it's um. Hey, and I'll tell you in a second. I and he's the guy that I would. He's the guy that I would pick for this. 
Uh, let me look up. Is it the guy that says Bazinga from the Big Bang Theory? No, I will never speak about him positively. <laughs> Although Jake Johnson is in that. It's uh, Ben Schwartz. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. he would be great. Ben Schwartz would be he the guy that I would pick. He would be great. Who's his dad? Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, honestly, you could probably just keep Paul, Paul Reiser, Reiser and let him be just let him be a little funnier. I would say funnier. Paul Reiser or uh, give it to make it like a little bit goofier, maybe like a Martin Short. Oh, yes. Or... Um, a uh, Albert Brooks. I, I was thinking that actually. Albert Brooks has been killing it lately. Yeah. He's been. What was I just watching him in the other day, where he plays? Well, I've been wanting to go back to Drive mostly to see his performance as that villain again. He he puts on a uh, another performance. I forget what movie I was watching recently that I was like, wow, Albert Brooks is good, and it's a new movie. Hang on, where is it? I th- I feel like I know what you're talking about. Oh, but he's in a most violent year. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And he was great in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, great. I would put him in there. That would be. I'm trying to think of like who the because like so here's what you would get to do that would be really fun mm. is so Ben Schwartz is Andrew right who do we put as the other two drummers that have to he has to like compete with throughout the movie oh well then I would actually would put in roles, um, right? the Lonely Island guys I oh would my fill them god in. that would be so because you could Andy Samberg would be the one that's always acting with his face yep. and then Yorma Taccone once again would be like the uh, the Connolly guy Connolly was great oh yeah because he he, he was unfazed by the yeah. by the professor because his whole approach was like yeah this is how it is. Oh, can you imagine Will Ferrell slapping Ben Schwartz in the face and telling him to keep up? Oh, That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like that stuff was like so Am intense, I and I, I got it. But it is also funny. Like there is a dark sense of humor underlying all of it. I thought. Oh, that, absolutely. I was really. Enter- that was the thing I said after this movie. That was so entertaining, and I feel like I didn't make that clear in our review. There, it's so entertaining. This is such an entertaining movie. It really keeps you just like uh, kind of on the edge of your seat, actually, as you're watching it in a weird way. Even though it's it not like a thriller. It is a thriller, yeah. Um, man, so that's that's the sort of singular negative review of this movie is uh, Will Ferrell should have been the star. <laughs> let's pull up one that actually says some shit. Yeah. Um, it's all positive stuff. That's funny. Actually, I like this positive one. Okay. Uh, a riveting confluence of energy, passion, and broken blisters that serves as a tribute to the obsessive pursuit of excellence at any cost. Whoa. Let's see. Such a cooked up piece of claptrap that I half expected what? Darth Vader to pick up the baton. What? That didn't uh, even what, make sense to me. Is, Isn't claptrap like a just supposed to be a gross term for... Just like nonsense. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean... That's one where, to me, I, I think any negative review comes from the knee-jerk reaction of just, like, people don't take band this seriously. Yeah, yeah. And that's just an ignorance to the fact that it, they do, you yeah. know? And that's, uh, you know... So I, I can get where that's coming from, even though it's wholly inaccurate. Um, Boom. You want to make some recommendations about some yeah, other stuff we've like been we watching? Yeah, I feel like we have... Uh, done whiplash to death oh yeah like I, th- I thought that was a good uh, an hour and a half actually this is oh, a good, good this is a good tight episode actually and I uh and i re- i really love that we got into it. that discussion about the ending oh absolutely because that, that was that is and fascinating says, to me that we read it so differently yeah and, and i think it's valid to it, it read is, it those yeah. ways and and honestly the punch still remains oh, the that's the, the same the for each of us like your version doesn't work for me but i think the way it works for you is the same way that my version works for me and that's super cool they got to this moment right they got the result, yeah. regardless of what we think about Fletcher's intentions there, mm. is this moment. And the, that the moment, moment is what that movie's about. You absolutely. Know? Uh, man, but this movie was incredible. All right. I, uh, we want to talk about some other stuff we've seen that we want to recommend, because I've been watching a lot of stuff, and i got a couple things I want to throw out real quick. 
Uh, one that we could talk about together is Horns, which I think I would recommend people see. Uh, but I would is, recommend it. Yeah, uh, it's a movie. Movie. Yeah, it doesn't hold up all overall. I don't think like it. it, it there's. It's. I will it's say a this. I, I am very inclined to just have it on. Yes. Um. I I found it to be supremely entertaining, yes. if not flawed. Like mm-hmm. I mean, I was ne- I wasn't bored for no, a me second. Either. It's just, I mean, when I hear of a movie referred to as undercooked, yeah, that's what I think of. Where I just go like, oh, I'll still eat it. I mean, it's tasty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I just, I, I just wish they they boiled some of the fat off of mm-hmm. it. Or you know provided me with a big enough meal to explain the Fed for and sure. It's, yeah, you know, it's uh, but it's on, on Netflix book. right now. I, I think like totally check it out. It was really interesting. If you uh, want to see uh, Daniel Radcliffe um, prove to you that he's not just Harry Potter, yeah, which I think he was great. In I this. mean, I fucking loved Woman in Black. Um, I didn't see that. Uh, it's cool. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's Hammer Horror. Just mm-hmm. now they've re, you know rebooted. It. It's it's cool. Um, it, it's just yeah. It's. This was a fine performance from. I really liked him, and even in something like the Woman in Black, there's a piece of me in the back of my head going like, "Oh, it's Harry Potter," and that's that's more the cultural relevance than his. Successfully shed that in this. He sheds that completely, and 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 it's one of those where where of course you're always that's more of the cultural impact of Harry Potter Mm -hmm. that when I see him I think that, Mm -hmm. but. to to actively forget about it is something that few actors can do, especially one that is so. I mean, he is the face of Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. You know, um, d- you can separate Daniel Craig from Bond just because Bond has looked a million different ways. Harry Potter looks like him universally and forever. And Horns, he sheds that like mm-hmm. effortlessly. This is- Appreciate this joke really quick. It was on Doug Loves Movies this week. He he read this tweet that you know some random person tweeted, which was, uh, "Why is everyone so excited about Boyhood?" Didn't Harry Potter already make this movie? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things about Harry Potter is that uh, we got to watch those characters age. Yep. And it was great because for people that read the books from moment one, which I didn't. Right. Um, but I feel the same way that I felt about like South Park is that the show, the book series, aged with its audience. Yep. And the creator of the book, the creator of the show also improved their talents yep. through that. And we got to watch the whole cast go from a bunch of young kids to a bunch of adults, as well as a bunch of fresh-faced squeakers, to borrow a term, from <laughs> a, to some really powerfully uh, good actors. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that is boyhood. A uh, couple of other things. I want to talk about Chicago really quick, because you've been recommending it to me for a long time. I, I finally saw movie. Chicago, and I, and in general, not into movie musicals, and this is one of the best ones I've seen. I, 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 could, I could not recommend seeing Chicago enough. Uh, I saw Kill List, Ben Wheatley's first movie, maybe. Uh, I think it was, yeah. And uh, very weird, but uh, has things that are totally worth seeing in it. That just reminded me. You know what movie? Uh, we're, I was saying, oh, there's a movie I should recommend, yes. but I forgot what it was. It's on Netflix. Yes. Red, White, and Blue. Okay. One, it's like an, I mean, it, it's one of those where nothing too explicit happens in mm-hmm. it. Don't read anything about mm-hmm. it because I couldn't tell you what what the plot is in terms of like, there's no set arc. Yeah. It's just a crazy story. But it's one of those where they tell you what's going to happen, and then they never show you. And then as the plot's moving on, you start to go, I wonder how that played out. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. And um, Red, White, and Blue is one of those movies that affected me like under the skin, uh-huh. where I found myself weeks later, like something would cue me to think about it, and yeah. then I would just be fucked up. Yeah. And people would be like, why are you staring off into the distance? And I'd be like, oh, shit, I'm sorry. I was just thinking about something that I should there's, never have to entertain. There's distinctly at least one thing in Kill List that uh, definitely fits that bill, and probably... Probably a couple other things as well. So oh, yeah. it, it, there are some worthwhile things in Kill List. Overall, it's a, a little uh, 
too weird, I think, to really hang together as just a narrative, but it, it is a, a, an interesting movie. The thing I really want to talk about is, why has no one told me about Dread before? Dread <laughs> is fucking awesome. I think people have been telling you about Dread. You oh, just haven't been hearing it. My God, it's great. It's on Netflix. Watch Dread. That's all I have to say. It's great. It, oh, was, it was the best way to spend a Thursday night uh, in a long time. It was, uh, Man, it was good. Right on. I have... Um, I'll give you two. Um, first one, this is a movie that... that uh, it's just an interesting movie. Um, this to me is one of those where uh, it's a subgenre of movies that I like, which is eh, it would have been a better X file, a, a better uh, Twilight Zone a- episode. <laughs> yes. But every once in a while, you get one like uh, like the Adjustment Bureau, mm-hmm. where you go, "Ooh, this this is a this would have been a good Twilight Zone episode," but it justified its length. Mm-hmm. And Take Shelter is oh, another yes. one of those movies that justifies its length. Uh, Jessica Chastain, awesome. Michael Shannon, awesome. And it's a movie about mental illness mm-hmm. or the end of the world. Uh, or about you know circumstances that we don't understand. Yeah. I don't want to say too much about it. Shea Wiggum's in it. Love that guy. Um, it's just a good movie. Powerful. There, there's all that stuff. I and really want to see that. I heard great things about that. Here's a fun project that I did that you can do uh, with Netflix. You can watch both the original and the updated The Town That Dreaded Sundown. I want to do that, actually. Is that um, worth doing, seeing both? I think so. Yeah. And and. It's uh, I mean, the old one is it's an old movie. Yep. It's a weird genre hopper. But the whole idea that it plays is it, it's based on a true set of murders. Now, of course, it's you know, it's it's more than it's more than what actually happened. Of course, yeah. But uh, it's from the same maker of The Legend of Boggy Creek. Okay. So it's like kind of silly, kind of old. There's like you know, there's like there's like a strange like comedic cross-dressing scene. Okay. There's a weird slow-mo cop car chase okay. that's like Dukes of Hazardy. But it also has some slasher moments and all that. And the whole thing is that it's told like a documentary of just like these are the events that happen. So there's no through line. Oh, Marianne from uh from Gilligan's Island is in Whoa. it. And uh, it, so it's just a cool old movie. Yeah. It's not terribly good by right. any means, but it's a lot of fun. Kind of entertaining. The uh, and so the and then of course the whole thing is just like, you know, and the the killer could still be out there today. Oh, roll yeah, credits. Yeah. The updated one, uh, the new one is a sequel. It's a remake. I don't know because the way they did it is. This town where these events happened, um, like because they, these events happened in this town, they're all huge fans of the movie, The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And every year around this time, there's a drive-through and all that, that that everyone goes to watch that movie together. It's a, you know, it's kind of like what they did in Scream, where yeah, it just became yeah, like yeah. a cultural yep. touchstone of the town. So now there's a copycat killer Whoa. based on that. So it is like Scream 2, And actually, so it kind of, of is, yeah. yeah. And so neither of them, I would say, are like perfect movies, but yeah. they're really a lot of fun, yeah. and it's just... You want the modern one was actually fu- like it wasn't one of those modern horror remakes. That's like the first one was already dumb, and this one's just bad. Oh no, no, it, it actually, I mean, it it justifies everything it's trying to do. Cool. I mean, it is a slasher at its yeah, heart, yeah, and it's it's a better movie than the original. Good, but good. if you want to give yourself a crash course in just a variety of different film concepts as yeah. well as film business concepts, yeah, it's a fun way to do it, and, oh, and it's cool. cool. I'm totally and there's do that. there's a wonderful trombone based murder in the <laughs> first one that is done uh, even better in the in the, like so the, that's great you know it's like when when they updated evil dead and everyone was like oh are they gonna have the tree rape yeah and it was like well how do you do that in a way that's not just we're tastelessly doing it yeah but we also want to do fan service and yeah. all that and uh, i think that they did a good job with it in that they do the same thing with the trombone stabbing um, <laughs> and so it's it's cool that's great yeah the town of dreaded sundown awesome definitely a winner totally check those out all right i think that uh, that is going to do it for us yeah. in a review of uh of whiplash uh which uh, i i definitely for my part uh, i'm kind of i think maybe be- hoping on this one being the best picture winner for me okay i um i i uh i don't know what i'm rooting for 
I honestly, my like, I wrote an article for Cinadelphia yeah. where I picked uh, best picture, and my like, I picked like out of the main categories, mm-hmm. like who I want to win, mm-hmm. and for best picture, my answer was anything but Imitation Game or American Sniper. Okay, and and yes, I am including Theory of Everything in there, Why whereas those I two? don't think. Well, American Sniper is just not a terribly good right. movie. Um, an Imitation Game, like that's a good movie, but like. I don't know. It's just not of the caliber. Yeah. Um, I feel like Imitation Game is one of those where it's raining and I turn on TNT one afternoon yep. and it's on and I go, oh, what an exciting movie because it is. Yeah. But like Selma, like that is an all time yeah. great movie. Birdman, that yeah. is an all time great yeah. movie. Whiplash, all time yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Um, Theory of Everything, I don't, uh, I don't hold as a high regard, but I wouldn't be mad if that won because that was a movie that I just found to be touching in yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that I I uh, it sort of moved you in a way that sometimes movies moves, yeah exactly can but don't always. Well, you I've know? become I've become so resistant to mm-hmm. the Oscar bait thing. Mm-hmm. Like when like I watched Forrest Gump as a kid mm-hmm. and only just recently watched it for a second time, and I found it to d- to be like extremely comical, mm-hmm. enjoyable, harmless, whatever. But when I watch that, I'm just like, this is just manipulative. Yeah. It, this is claptrap. This yeah, is just yeah, nonsense. Yeah, yeah. You know. Whereas theory of everything by the end, like you know, it 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 just made me feel it. I I think that that is worth alone. You know, mm-hmm. and I, it's and and I think there's there's some exciting and interesting filmmaking and performing going on in it. And yeah. so whereas it's not perfect, I I don't think it's you know it's not perfect, but like. Like something like American Sniper, I think is actually gaudily flawed. Mm-hmm. Something like Imitation Game, I believe, is is just not of the ilk yeah. of what makes an Oscar Best Picture movie for me. But the rest of them, like Boyhood, wins totally deserves yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Whiplash totally deserves it. Birdman, of course. You know, Boyhood's the one that I got. That I'm definitely going to make sure I get that in time. before. February and I got to say this: this is going to sound awful, and I know that it's a tall order, but I think it's very important. Um, I try to avoid doing this with most movies, watching it over multiple sittings. Oh, yeah. And being such a long movie, that tendency is going to be there. I think that it is extremely important, more so than any other movie, to watch Boyhood in one sitting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's just... I will. If you break it up, then it's a miniseries, and then it's less impressive. Yes, yeah. When you watch it as a whole thing and you go, the fact that someone carried this strong of a vision and, and, and did it, like... That's some impressive stuff. I can't wait to watch it. Um, And that's, it's one of those, I think Best Picture this year is the one uh, category that doesn't, I mean, outside of Nightcrawler for me, but even that I can see why it's not in there. Sure. Uh, that doesn't have any abject snubs. Sure. Whereas, like, best acting, you know, Miles Teller, mm-hmm. David Oyelowo, mm-hmm. boom, it totally, you know. Um, I it's because best, best picture, they can basically nominate as many movies as they want. they want. <laughs> and, and so, you know, there's no snubs there. Yeah. Um, and actually, I was talking about this the other day. Uh, I, I think that uh, Carrie Coon in Gone Girl uh, should have been nominated. 100%. Yeah, she was great. She was um, great. And, and that, was her f- that was her film debut. I know. And, and, so and she like, was great. That was a good, yeah. good shit. Uh, so, uh, February 12th, come see us yes. at Movie Movie Live, our Oscar-themed game show. It's Oscar-themed this month. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's going to be fun. We've got some games about Oscars past, Oscars current. Um, Meryl Streep may make an appearance. Uh, it's going to be really fun. It's, it's going to be, be cool. We've got Chris Cotton, Rick Giuliani, and Chris O'Connor. Three. This is... Great it's a panel. good panel. Super oh, yeah. funny panel. We've you got a guy who's actually like becoming a more famous comic. Yes. We've got a guy who is... Should uh, be the most famous comic in Philadelphia. Yeah, should be the most famous comic in Philadelphia. And at least as far as as I've ever met, does not like movies. <laughs> yeah. And then the other guy who I feel like 
might be like the trump card i yes. feel like rick is just gonna pull out some knowledge he's yeah. dude it, and he is so funny he's so funny. it's we're gonna have a great time this is gonna be a really fun panel people should definitely come out it's a double bill with curses again so please come out it's gonna be five dollars per show or you can just pay eight bucks and stay for the whole night it's oh, gonna yeah. be really fun it's gonna be a really good the time. thing about that even if you pay eight bucks and then you get like tired that's yeah. still a fucking value yeah it's it, it, it is gonna be really fun and their show is very funny and has a great panel this month as well so please come out february 12th philomoca uh, 12th and Spring Garden in Philadelphia. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, so, uh, let's do the sign-off. Wait, oh, um, find yeah. me on Twitter, at Philadelphia, with an F. Find us on Twitter, at I Like Two Movie. Uh, that is the number two, I Like Two Movie, facebook.com mm-hmm. slash I Like Two Movie. And coming soon, hopefully a website homepage for yes, us. Yes, yes, coming soon. I mean, you can even go on to it's I Like Two Movie.tumblr.com. Yes, I think that's where we're going to be. If you click onto that and just subscribe, um, pretty soon content gonna will be, be content coming. There. We're going to yep. be working on that. So give us a, give us some some weeks, some months. That will come together. Um, definitely log on to Cinadelphia.com for some movie stuff from yours truly and you can probably just find a connection to all of that at um my twitter at dan scully or the dan scully.tumblr.com most of the content which will be put over to i like to movie movie it's a project in the works yes. but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it we will uh so uh my name is garrett smith and i like to movie movie my name is dan scully and i like to movie movie and we all know that you, you like, like to, to movie movie, movie because, because we like to movie, movie.